This is Tom with Third Rail Design Lab. And this is Born Again Blake. Born Again Blake Simmons. You know, they used to call me Tommy Two-Time. Did you know that? When I was in the no. big house? I thought it was Tommy Two-Tone. Tommy Two-Tone? Yeah. Well, yeah. But then but then that Creepers factory blew up back in the day. Remember that? Caught yep. on fire and all the Creepers went, were hard to get. So <laughs> that was that was the end of the two the That two was tones. the end of that. Yeah, that's right. But, uh, but, uh, but tell you what. Um, you know what time it is? It's time to. It's time to. To begin again in a golden land of opportunity and adventure. Release the Kraken. Hey there, begin again, Blake Simmons. Hi there, third rail design lab, Tom. How the hell are you? I know you're swell, uh, but how are you? I, I'm doing swell, but we've, uh, you know, life is just one grand adventure. <laughs> yeah, but most choose your own adventures go bad very quickly. <laughs> well, you know, I'm not out exploring Pluto. I'm just uh, trying to find Uranus. Oh, all right then. <laughs> See, look at that. Very so uh, that leads directly to our first segment, the sucking the monkey for the evening. Yes, sir. What, what are you sucking? I'm enjoying a delightful table red from Young's Vineyard. I'm super stoked because for the first time in several recordings, you're actually having a refreshing beverage and you're not, whatever, having high C or an, an IV. It seems like those have been here too well, for know, the last months. Well, you know, the, the, the past couple of times I tried it, those fruit punch IVs really left a mark <laughs> and kind of made me skittish for a couple of days. So I'm really trying to cut back. They're subpar. Yep. You know, I'm going more with the the the, the cold squeeze pressed fruit punch because oh, uh, that is a that's just a more refreshing taste overall. I feel like this is um, existential, but yes, I agree with you. So, uh, and what are you what are you enjoying tonight as your adult libation, sir? I'm having a bullet rye and some organic lemonade. Nice in oh. the same glass. Yes, it's not a Lynchburg lemonade. It's but you know because there's no extra sugar, but it's delicious. Because you know sometimes I just squeeze some lemon into. Uh, whiskey and call it a day, yeah. Uh, or the opposite of that, like no whiskey. I mean, no lemon in the whiskey. Just <laughs> no whiskey. Lemon. No whiskey in the lemon. Why is he so I, sour? But I, um, I, I feel like I'm going to live on the edge today. I'm just going to drink <laughs> it. Yeah, but um, this was because I'm so worried about scurvy. Um, the Your rickets. I think the bigger worry is rickets. That's right. And so, but it, this happened sort of by accident. I had never put. Um, I, I've mixed vodka with lemonade plenty of times, but. I got some lemonade for uh, my son's birthday or something. And then, or no, I don't remember what it was. And then, uh, you know, I made myself a refreshing beverage and I thought, eh, I'll give it a try. And then discovered that uh, this low sugar, fairly low sugar organic lemonade mixed with the with the whiskey was good, good. And so I've been having it for about a week. It's delicious. Yeah. I will have to try that. Yes. It's a, um, just a tincture, just a, just a, just a smidge. Well, but, but four glasses or less at night. Oh, but, but wait, yeah, four sixty-four ounce glasses. <laughs> you know, one must be concerned about moderation. But well, your uh, your your experiments always go better than mine. Like I always try like a uh, no pop, pop rocks, watermelon rind, and yogurt. That's the Navy man in you, though. I think that we can go back into the uh, copious archives of Robot Dash Kraken and find um, episodes, particularly when I was overseas and we were recording, and you were. So mollified at the fact that I was mixing things like 
some sort of melon soda with with Amsterdam gin or something. I remember you were recording serious troubles. You and I remember those very differently. I think it was more like spam marshmallows and mad dog. That you remember. <laughs> that, I could get neither of those things in Indonesia, my friend. But I mean, even with a tiki torch, that's not right. <laughs> Doesn't matter what environment you're in. Fair enough. Well, uh, the last time we talked, um, uh, we had gone through our feelings about in general appreciation for daredevil's most recent season and um and then prior to that yep and then prior to that we had done a lot of talking about uh the expanse but um which i don't even remember at this point i think i may still have that in reserve i may not have published it but here's my you, here's you my have point. not published it you have not published it okay that, good that, that six hour rambling diet <laughs> waiting in the wings oh and it's pure gold but here's the thing um, we keep talking about canceled shows. Yes, we, yes, but so... We're like we, the prophets of doom. Sure, and we thought that, um, well, we, we made a, a point of trying to get tonight's session uh, you know, recorded specifically because all the rumors were that the new Avengers trailer was going to drop today. And mm-hmm. uh, not only did it not drop today, but we're too old to say drop. And yeah. so it's going to be tomorrow probably. Um, and I want to talk about that anyway, but um, like an I, Amazon box. Yeah, but, but we have a lot of news, and I thought we should talk about some news, yeah, yeah. some crazy news. Let's just have a Red Sky Roundup episode for Sounds this good. session, right? Um, so, uh, do, so is Khashoggi in or outside the limits of the conversation? <laughs> what? Again, <laughs> how much Mad Dog have you had? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> um, I mean, we could talk about him in bits and pieces. Let's no, no, that way. Well, he is that everywhere. was a bad joke. It was a really he bad joke. He's in bits and pieces everywhere. Yeah. Depending on what time it is, he may be in one place or several. Yes. <laughs> Bone saws are out of stock at Amazon. Did you know that? No, no. Did you see that great line from uh, uh, Mr. Lindsey Graham that uh, we don't have a smoking gun, we have a smoking saw? <laughs> no. Yes. He actually said that. Oh, my God. And my response is, well, of course, when you're when you're sawing bone, that's what happened. That's right. What did you expect would happen, right? So I have to squirt, got to squirt the water bottle on it, right? Put the acetone on first. Oh my gosh! Well, yeah. um, speaking of sizzling, I think the the one of the things that jumped oh, out at me, uh, no, one of the things that jumped out at me earlier this week that was was kind of fun was that they released first Garner first. No. Oh. They first they released a poster and then a new trailer for Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. I propose this is our first Red Sky Roundup item. I agree, Captain that Marvel. Very, that was a very interesting uh, trailer. Yes. So the poster. Uh, what I liked about that was we got full color, post effects. You know, like the full deal with the energy and everything else. And man, it just look. It is really attractive looking suit and person, mm-hmm. but the suit finally done with all of those effects it looks mm-hmm. it looks great it could be a competitor with captain america and iron man's best looks in terms of the the strong iconography and branding in it in my mind yeah and what i also like is as opposed to a lot of the other marvel movies that have come out of late they're they're not trying to do a like a collage of different characters and different images it's just like Boom. It's, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You mean in terms of the poster design? Yeah, yeah. The poster design and the, and the layout of this. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's, it's very simple but very effective. 
yeah, the eponymous, you know, a million floating heads looking in different directions, and they don't. Yeah, I know. Yeah, well, I um, mean, it, it, it's like they're they're always trying to mimic that initial Star Wars poster. Sure, right. always looking up in different directions, like Guardians. Screws and screws right. work. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, but those those um, Photoshop disasters drive me nuts because like one person's looking at the camera, two are looking away someone's out of scale with someone else you know like someone's, someone's on a different ground plane yeah yeah uh but uh but so but thinking about the costume design itself um and i go design nerd here but mm-hmm. um there are some highs and lows in the marvel costuming world for mcu i mean they're all high compared to most of their competitors but in terms of what sticks and doesn't if you think about a lot of the avengers well some of captain america's suits but most of the Avengers as a whole um, and a lot of the solo films, they haven't had um, really um, iconographic suits that just screamed good design, right? Yes. I mean, I love the Winter Winter Soldier era Captain America, um, his supposed stealth suit, right? That's my favorite of his looks. <laughs> but, 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 but in terms of just that iconography, his... Uh, you know the 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 post first Avenger the the follow up where he came back to the first Avenger look, mm-hmm. um, is really you know it's got that red white and blue it's got the leathers and it has all of the things that just scream proto Captain America across all the decades of that design and then most of the Iron Man designs in the movies have been fairly um, color blocked and look good until more recently they started adding silver bits and unfinished bits and then in Infinity War it was just, you know, Geiger. But this is one where it just can't it, that design has been pulled from the comics from the most contemporary version of her in the comics and it is so clean. It has mm-hmm. it doesn't have overtexturing. It does have some busyness in some of the details and stuff, but 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 in broad strokes the the crease, the crease star in the center with the striping coming off, the way the colors are, are put together, it just looks sharp. I love mm-hmm. it. Agreed. I don't love so much the faux hawk with the helmet, although that's been a thing in the comics and people seem to really like it. So when we get to the trailer, I was gonna, uh, we're okay. going to talk about that. Well, let's, in depth. well anyway, the, yeah, let's talk but about the, it. But, but we just, like, <laughs> the one thing that I will give Marvel credit for across the board. Even Only one. <laughs> well, well, okay, one one Google, um, they uh, the characters often make fun of themselves in the costumes. Sure, right? They're and, self-deprecating, or they're very aware. Right. They're aware, right? Right. And uh, the fact that you you pointed out Captain America, that whole helmet thing, and how he just hated it when he was doing all the the war bond campaigns and everything yeah. else, right? That that is something that I always appreciate. So it'll be interesting to see if that's here. Well, the very fine line between the self-aware mockery of the ridiculousness of costumes versus the embracing of the imagery of the costume and the characters. Yes. Captain yeah. America began to embrace the idea that his uniform had to have meaning. So then he, and once it became functional, then he was, then he welcomed it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Her, hers having come off of it being a Cree uniform is perfect for rationalizing its existence. You know how I feel about rationalizing yeah. Yeah. this stuff. That's great. <laughs> How she changes it in color, I don't know. But the the idea yeah. that she lands in Cree in that in the space force shit um, mm-hmm. immediately allows us to accept it, and I love that, and gives it a reason to have design, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the thing that that almost all of these, with the exception of Iron Man One, 
when he said, I want a little hot rod, <laughs> right? And made a very specific <laughs> nod to the fact that he was making color choices. Almost every other example of a costume in the Marvel Universe has been, um, there's been no rationale for why there was good design. Who was the designer? It's like we made fun of with uh, um, Batman v Superman, where Lex Luthor had, uh, or was it? Yeah, it was Lex Luthor, right? And he had um, little powerpoints and little folders, and they all had icons. Design logos. Someone, design yeah, so yeah, someone sat around. Some intern made logos for all this top secret shit, right? What what high school intern project was that? Yeah, and so the idea that um, the the Cree uniform is a is a military police uniform, right? It has design because it was a thing. They are examples. They are sort of ambassadors of pain. Um, that's such a great logic. I just love the logic that's in place there. So well, it but, makes sense. The consistency, the consistency with what was presented in Guardians. Right. Absolutely. Right. Right. Um, Black but Panther. It's, it's, Black Panther built. They built in logic for why it would look the way it did because there was this idea that there were. Tri- you know, multiple generations of this, some version of the same look and it had just mm-hmm. evolved over time. Right. Um, Ant-Man doesn't have a lot of, there's not a lot of reasoning behind how Hank Pym would have had done some color matching and some sewing and try to come up with some designs for his suit. It should have been much more utilitarian than it was, but they sold it on Paul Rudd making comic. fun of himself. Comic, yeah. Right. But Paul Rudd making fun of himself in it. You know, and the whole co- the, the, his entire premise I instantly sold you on it, so it didn't matter anymore. Yeah, they still never explained why uh, Whit Black Widow had um, little laser blue stripies on her on her leathers. In, in- My theory is that she's a really big fan of Tron. Yeah, but she didn't go. We talked about this at the time. They didn't go far enough on that. If they wanted to go that route, they should just they should have just Troned it because Olivia Wilde in Tron. That's one of the best pieces of design in modern cinema, as far as I'm concerned. So they could have just done agreed. That. Yeah. I agree with you there. So, all right, so the trailer. Let's talk about this trailer. No, but wait, wait. Does Mother knowest thou wearest her drapes? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, that was my favorite. Yeah. I remember. Yep. So tell me. And the X- it, it, what? No, go ahead. Trailer? I was just going to say the X Men also did a really good job of panning all those costumes and things, like really self-deprecating. Like, uh, yeah. but did you want spandex? So, yeah. Anyway, let's get on to the trailer. So, I liked the first trailer better Me because too. it told less. Yeah. Um, and there was more bon mots for people who read the read the comics and have ideas about what's happening, but less um, overt explanation about things. But on the other hand, it was a good second trailer in terms of what second trailers do. If the first one's a teaser that is establishing tone. When done right, right? First mm-hmm. one establishes tone. Second one starts to flesh out some co- some plot concept for people because these trailers are entirely based... They're entirely from marketing to mainstream people. They're not for us. We make this huge deal about it. They release the trailers at the conventions. There's all this spectacle about the fa- super fans going crazy about it. But in the end, it's fuck, it has nothing to do with us, which is why we get stuff like those Venom trailers that were such horrible piles of shit. Because right, they but, didn't but care what fans result, thought of it, because it was about it trying resulted to. In, it resulted in nine hundred million dollar box office. Is exactly right. They're yeah. yeah right. They're trying to broadcast to the housewife or the insurance salesman or the plumber in in the middle of the country who are not comic fans or the teenager yeah, or the teenager. And you know what? In that context, these these Marvel trailers have been by and large very well executed. Mm-hmm. 
So this one was a little more straightforward. I didn't like that as much. There's a lot of missing links, though. There's a lot of mystery to it still. Oh, yeah. But I, I will I will disagree with you a little bit on what you just claimed. I thought the first trailer was much more targeted towards the fans, and the second part, second one was much more targeted to the mass audience. I think they both I, – I agree, but I'm saying – in total, all of the trailers are for the mass audience. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They know they're they know because they know what they're, they're doing. If they were targeting the the fans, because we we we've had this conversation about Avengers four and how this trailer we thought was going to be released today that I've actually been dreading because I know I'll watch it, but I'll be pissed that I do. We talked about their the problem of how to market about Avengers four when the plot line premise is that everybody's dead, right? Well, but, 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 what if did, but what if they did something really creative and just... Uh, well, we talked about that, yeah. The trailer, the trailer is just like Vision making spaghetti. But that's... But but see, my point right. is we, people like us are saying, how about no trailer in many yeah. cases? Whether it's Star Wars or this, we're saying, how about no trailer? How about you just bring me the finished product and I will just fall right into it and freak out? Hashtag and that's the thing. Problems. The... That's the thing. <laughs> the super fans, the genre fans don't need a trailer. Yeah. They will see the movie. No matter what. No matter what. So, uh, unless it's Venom. And even then, I might still see it, even despite myself. I'm just so horrified by it. But the point I'm is, waiting, the mar- this is not marketing for us. Yeah. Um, and that's evidence. What, what I find fascinating about that is, if that's the case, there's no reason why the DC stuff shouldn't have done better than it did. Because so much of the the negative feedback from the trailers on down to the actual films was genre fans saying, what the holy hell did you do to these properties? How did you sink the unsinkable ship? When, in fact, all that marketing was supposed to get those average people in and get them to do repeat viewings. And if anything, I think it shows that maybe the marketing of the DC stuff got them in the door that first time, and then they watched it and said, you know... I'm no superhero fan, or I'm no comics nerd, but I I don't know. This is not this is not ringing for me. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't feel motivated to see this again. And that's the that was the problem of those movies, right? Couldn't well, get that, repeat viewings that, in. Yeah, that and Steve Mnuchin was in charge, but um, yeah. But I, don't you think uh, you're assuming that there's a complete disconnect between those different ecosystem well you're right like, that in the modern like era fans in the mass population right so social right? media and stuff right the genre fans will sink right. the thing if they don't like what they saw that's true then again the word most, the word most, most genre fans said that venom looked like hot hot shit that's why we were all kind of surprised when it did well and it kept going we're like what didn't you hear us <laughs> well but, i mean uh, you're not uh, supposed to like this you know pt P. barnum was very successful right. right banking on the stupidity of the american people at large and um so you always get those those cases where that doesn't happen, but I think there's sometimes where it becomes such a stinker out there in the in the pre press realm, yeah, that it, it does dampen down at least the American audience. It may not do anything in the global audience, which if you take a look at the Venom domestic versus worldwide box office, there's a huge right force multiplier there. So I think I think trailers done right are in general a positive thing, and trailers done wrong aren't necessarily a negative thing, but they certainly don't help. Um, but it's, but for people like us, we see a bad trailer come out on a project we were looking forward to. Mm-hmm. And we instantly feel like there's no hope because if you can't, because they can pull an, they can pull an incredible looking trailer out of dog shit, mm-hmm. but to produce a dog shit trailer 
see Star Wars episodes one, two, three, everyone. <laughs> well, right. I mean, that's the thing that worries me when I see a project that I like Venom. I was not the target market for that by any stretch. I don't like that character, and that's just not anything I was interested in. Well, I, I still, but I couldn't believe that. I still don't know who that target audience is. How about the thing that they recently got into the the fact that so many people were getting getting off on the weird um, sort of twisted romantic stuff, and so then they re remember that whole thing where they recently mm-hmm. recut it as a romantic trailer and all that, mm-hmm. <clears throat> trying to make it a Deadpool in a way. Like I'm gonna mix genres in my marketing just for fun. We're all in, the, in on the joke, and you're like, mm. right. So when Venom's talking about comparative uh, deodorants and uh, yeah. whether you know old Old Spice is really valid or not inside tights, that's where you go. Exactly. Anyway, but dude. but the trailer. So let's talk about okay. What what you like and didn't like about the trailer? Okay, I didn't like how linear and how much story it attempted to frame while leaving things out which was good, but I felt like it still would have, I liked it more uh, opaque from the first trailer. Mm-hmm. I liked it more when we were guessing about some of the things we were seeing and had less narrative structure than in, as, it, as is apparent in the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, also, I didn't like, for example, I really enjoyed that in the first one, she punches the old lady on the bus and people like us are going, well, look, clearly she's a scroll. But then a lot of people saw that who were not genre fans. Like, what the hell is that? And I yeah. like that. I like that well, response but, but, better. You know, when when AARP comes out and says they're going to pick up the movie, um, yeah, I did they? That, that no, of course not. I can see them doing it though. Uh, that they don't have enough energy. Wow. All the all the good Sammers or whatever. Yeah. Well, full disclosure, full disclosure, I did get my AARP invitation when I turned 50, so I am part of what I'm joking about. <laughs> That's really sad to me. Oh, you're not 50. I know. You're a stupid, <laughs> stupid time. Thanks to the quantum realm. Yes. Yeah, so I, <laughs> I, I, I came in a dangling participle and I left the preposition. That's right. I um, Another thing that uh, I would say... Okay, because I have so few complaints, because I'm generally so optimistic about this stuff, but I have so few things that I'm not liking about what I'm seeing here. But the one thing that's I have to admit to you, just to you mm-hmm. and our 333 listeners, I'm really... Hi, Mom. I got concerns about her voice. <laughs> yeah. Because Brie Larson has a high voice, mm-hmm. and that's really hard to reconcile with a badass, but it shouldn't, but it's true. So I feel sexist about it, mm-hmm. but it's not always sexism. It's pattern. It's impl- no, because it's if it was a male, it would be no, the same cool. thing. A, a high voice, a high pitched voice. Male feels weird to me too. In that sense, if they're supposed to be a power figure, hmm. okay. that's basic psychology. Don't you think so? I, I think it's an exhibit of implicit bias, but I'm just going to leave it there. It is implicit bias. Yeah. I'm admitting to that. Look at how we put Chris on a pedestal. Because he has a deep and sexy voice. Who? Chris. Oh. Yes. Deeply dapper. Deeply dapper, yeah. It's but his, it's his think, dulcet tone. He has great. He has a lot of great hair. He really does. Too yeah. much of it. Yeah. Well, I and I have none, so I put him up on pedestal for that. Or my hair's in the wrong places. His hair is mostly in the right place. So I think they can pull off. I mean, she can pull off her voice. I mean, she has to. She can pull this off if there's knowingness in it. If it's not a naive, the problem is a higher pitch voice 
for women who have a high-pitched voice, it pushes towards naivety. The, the, the tropes are naivety or they are, um, um, you know, lack of intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. You're fighting that as a, as a, as a, as a trope, just like with, okay, me, with men with a high pitched voice, it's some sort of effeminate thing, or it's a weaselly person or something like that. But if you, if you tweak it and they are showing awareness or they have something interesting in their personality, it changes that it immediately dis, uh, sort of, I think undermines that trope. Hmm. So I, I think so. I think she can have a higher pitch voice, be a power figure. But if she speaks with intelligence, um, then you'll buy it. But if she speaks with, st- you know, Starman style naivety, right? You know, like, mm-hmm. <laughs> what is this wonderful planet that I have memories of? Uh, then you're going to get irritated, right? Or I like apple pie, Dutch apple pie. Yeah. yeah um, and yellow means go very fast. No, I, I hear you, but. Um, I guess I've I've been influenced by some stereotype challenging superhero movies in the past, in particular like Kick Ass, yeah, and, and others that have kind of normalized that sure expectation because you know you take a look at uh, um, Chloe Moritz and mm-hmm. Kick Ass, and she I mean she comes off as kind of this teenage valley girl and then comes out and just stomps the shit out of everybody. Um, yeah, but I thought she radiated that there was cool in her from the minute. Yeah, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Th- I don't know if that applies. Well, but, but you but you're speaking strictly about the voice. You're not talking about the persona right. that comes with it, right? And we'll, and we'll well, I'm talking about the voice and the things she said, and mm-hmm. so far the things she's said in the trailers, the dialogue she's used. She had one line that was cool, mm-hmm. and the rest of the lines sound really, you know, Starman, and that's mm-hmm. alarming okay. to me. The line where he says, "Okay, your 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 space your space whatever," and she says, "No, we're here, we're hero space whatever, right? Whatever that line is, I really butchered it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. The way that she said that was so ballsy and and yet earnest. I I love that, but the other stuff that she says, I feel like I remember this before, and I feel like I'm just that's not." resonating with me and in the trailer to show that in the trailer it gives me a little bit of because mm, everything else about it looks so cool mm-hmm. I don't know you know, I, I had a I had a I thought they were I got a different response from that oh. I I thought they were trying to make it more relatable sure and more vulnerable instead of just the, uh, another superhero coming to you know pull a deuce ex machina on everybody and just mm-hmm. stomp the shit out of everyone well, they're doing something very important, and and I'm happy to see it, which is that they're providing uh, humanity and vulnerability in a godhead power set, mm-hmm. which is something that uh, DC has struggled with with Superman, but also has struggled with their entire pantheon of heroes are gods. You see Green Lantern? Uh-huh. And I- they... You know they, they constantly str- have struggled in the comics and in the films with making you care about what happens to these people because they are all infinitely powerful and perfect and and have no flaws and so forth. And right? even the flaws that they do uh, espouse are so hokey and jokey; it's ridiculous. Right, right. I won't kill, and you're a Boy Scout, and it's like right. And so Marvel, from its earliest inception, was about putting real people in costumes and using right. them as analogs for for things in society so if they're going to produce the, the superman of the marvel world 
yeah, the one that makes Thor seem underpowered and right. Hulk seem underpowered to immediately make it someone who has um, you know personality and and a, and a normal side and has implies vulnerability is a very good thing. I like that a lot. Well, and, and that's been Marvel's secret sauce all along. They make them about humans in extraordinary conditions mm-hmm. as opposed to gods in tights. Yes, yes, what yes. DC is, right? It's just yes. like it's like the worst version of Mel Brooks' men in tights. It's like, eh, we should <laughs> We don't have any, you know, pants. It's like, great. Wonderful. And then their big their big crisis is what cod piece to wear. It's like, oh, God. I didn't so, like – I also didn't like that they're showing more – they're already showing – darkness in uh in jude law's character yeah when the nerd side of us we're all like already going oh actually this is this other kree guy and you don't can't trust him and he's actually going to be a bad a big bad too and all this but i think that um i think it was a little early to start to make him seem questionable in the trailer but so i think i think that they're under showing the scrolls and they're over showing him i i I think they're pulling a big bait and switch yeah I think they're 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 putting that out there as like the the like they're trying desperately to say this isn't about the Infinity War this isn't about Thanos and um, <laughs> well and and and, okay. and then you know we'll find out in the last half of the movie it's all about the Infinity War <laughs> exactly uh, and uh, I think this I, I think it's come a, in handy right I think it's a smart play to try and create a villain that they can identify with to rouse interest on things. But I did think it was a little overhanded. I agree with you. I and, and, the other, and the other, the other thing I, I actually yeah. thought they had not shown at all was her powering up. Right. That was the big thing about I, this trailer, right? Not only her powering up, but then fully powered, and then you her flying around and being a a total Marvel cosmic badass in yeah. classic form. I, I, I really going wish, everything. Yeah, I really wish I didn't. I didn't think it was necessary. I thought. I also have some concerns about the aesthetic of that, but um, yeah, um, and I'm not sure it was just because of the translation between the, the the film quality versus the monitor I was watching it on, but that it didn't look as powerful as I think they were planning on it. Yeah, well, when the character is centered in frame and spinning around doing laser blasts, it's not as interesting as if it was done with intensity in the way it was. Yeah, to be shot. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, so like when when when. Thor shows up in Infinity War and comes down and, you know, bring me down. I think there's a reason why that was never shown in a trailer. Correct. Yes, yes. Right. Um, however, comma, however, comma, I thought it was one of the best scenes in the entire movie. Just like... Uh, right. Yeah. Well, and look at how, um, again, beating up on DC, on BBS and Justice League, <clears throat> they had these money shots of their franchise characters standing, standing in a pose, kind of holding their ground, cue the music, embers around them and they're not doing anything but then once they start fighting it goes rubbery cgi man instantly yeah. and it was very noticeable and obvious and frustrating and that's not even taking into account the the, the demustaching and all that right uh in this case it's the one thing that we still have problems with in the marvel stuff that when it pulls back and becomes too cartoony they lose us because you immediately sense it like black panther which looked so great until all of a sudden they were rubbery men bouncing off a cliff. Yeah. Right? Or, or or traipsing through downtown and bouncing off cars. Look at how uh look at how um uh Taika Waititi did in Ragnarok where yeah. 
it's all very understated. It's all humor and, and talking heads and all this. And then when they get to the the combat, it gets really cool really quick. Mm-hmm. And they showed some of that in the trailer, but they didn't show a lot of it. And the, the you know, the 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 the, the most cl- I don't know the mo- the signature Thor moment in all of the MCU to me is that great Led Zeppelin thing where he's hurling slow mo yeah. down yeah. and the yeah. and the bugaboos are making the. You know, <laughs> the World War Z cliff of bodies, and he's coming down with all the lightning behind him. Mm-hmm. That was like, I, I get that that was a music video at that moment, but it was so incredibly powerful. I, but I, I, I would say it was a. I I've watched Thor Ragnarok probably close to fifty times now. <laughs> and, uh, I've often uh, stopped that scene and watched it like ten times in a row. Oh yeah, because that that combination of Infinity of uh, the immigrant song. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the, but the the CGI was always understated, right? Right. It was it was never like um, the the Lord of the Rings final battle of Sauron with everybody dancing to the sixties greatest hits. Mm-hmm. It was um, it, the, it was a means to an end, not an end of itself. Yeah. And then whereas you take a look at Justice League, and those flying little demon gobbledygooks are. Um, I mean, right. They're basically the monkeys from the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> yeah, and uh, with and, with wildly yeah. varying uh, uh, power levels. So that yeah. at one point they're dropping cars on people, and at another point Batman's stringing them up. <laughs> right, and I still don't understand why they just get a big sound beacon and plant it in the Bermuda Triangle and just draw them there. I just don't yeah. understand. You, you've got a gadget, you've got planes, just fly them over and lead them away. I have to digress on something that I didn't write down in the Red Sky Roundup, but that this reminds me of, which is that um, David Ayers has been um, it revealing more about the Suicide Squad development as people pester him on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And one of the things he mentioned or admitted to was that the original or some earlier well-developed version of the film before it was changed was uh, Steppenwolf being the big bad and the Parademons being his guys. Mm-hmm. And then the powers that be, the executives pivoted and said, well, we're going to make Justice League a, tr- you know, a multi-film thing. So we can't just drop Darkseid in immediately. So we need to use him for that. And they took it all away and gave him, you know, whatever, the Aztec God and Enchantress. And then all of those weird blobby eyeball guys. Mm-hmm. It was so, I, from the very first time we saw that movie, that all felt so, I mean, the, the main bad wasn't so bad, but those, those centuries, it was so underdeveloped and generic, we couldn't understand how it could possibly have been designed. How could you actually have done this deliberately and, and, and done this to us? And it was interesting to, to read. Well, actually, they had this whole other thing going, and if you imagine Steppenwolf and Parademons in Suicide Squad, for better or worse, it, it feels more cohesive. Yeah. It makes more sense. To, yeah, as opposed to guys who look like they stepped out of a Drake video. Yeah, it's yeah, terrible. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but I, but, but Captain the, Marvel. The other, the, the other downside of that is that, okay, great. They pulled out Steppenwolf and they said, oh, we're going to hold him for this grand triumphant moment. Then why did you make him look so fucking bad? <laughs> I still think until Thanos, he would look better than a lot. He looked better than uh, Doomsday. He looked better than a oh, lot of a sea that, of mud, muddy, muddy, angry CGI people. You're setting the bar pretty low, dude. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, you know. I know. That's what I I'm mean, saying, though. That's the problem. Juggernaut in Deadpool 2 was, you know, an Oscar-winning 
God, you <laughs> but even but like even Wonder Woman, which we've we've sort of in, to some degrees unfairly put on a pedestal. Even Wonder Woman, you get to the final act and Ares pops out, and it's like, well, frankly, David Thewlis is more interesting. <laughs> yes, I just like to see him walking around in a three piece suit, just kicking everybody's ass. That's what I'm saying. Right? I felt that way when we came out of the theater. It's like, why couldn't it just have been him in, you know, like the like other movies where Satan is in human form and has never bothered to change. Right. Because why bother? You don't care about appearances. Like, I think... David Angel Thule, Heart. <laughs> yeah, I think David Thule is wandering around like, uh, excuse me, would you like some Earl Grey? Yeah. And then just stomp an ass? Like, that would have been so much better. I think, I still think the best uh, humanoid, uh, demon humanoid ever, ever, ever is uh, uh, Stormare and uh, Constantine in the white I, suit I, I, with I, the Inexplicable tar feet. Oh, fuck. That was great. But, but, but that, that was the perfect combination of a really good actor given a really simple aesthetic but very complex right. and masterful use of special effects to complement it. And well and designed. I, I, and, well and I agree with you. I agree with you. That was phenomenal. I'm trying to think if there's anything else um, really um, significant about the trailer. So, I mean, but, be- but, but, uh, so uh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say the other thing that they're trying to do, and it'll be very interesting to see how they pull this off in the movie, was the whole kind of Nick Fury as mentor thing. Well, no, I, I think it's Nick Fury as a neophyte. He's on the verge of, of quitting. He's so demoralized. And then he mm-hmm. falls into this, and this is what resets his clock. Are you, is that what you're trying to say? That she's that's his that's mentor? Saying, oh, I thought you said Nick Fury as mentor. I was like, no. Nah. I, I, may, I may have said that, but I misspoke. I think... Okay. Having the tables turned yes. on the Nick Fury character. Oh, it's great. Like, you know, we had a grand plan to bring across the best of the best, and we were going to go beat the Dallas Cowboys in the Super Bowl. <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah. You know, kind of the, that here's a Nick Fury who's given up all hope. And, uh, <laughs> and totally. then you have, right. And then you have somebody come in and change his world. And in speaking to the earlier point you made about how when she's spinning around doing energy blasts and her hair's glowing and she's got a, a faux hawk on, it's, mm-hmm. it was less interesting than it should have been. It, um, it, it reminded me of Ghost Rider, which just terrified Sure, me. but continuing a trend that um, is easy to overlook, the best special effects are the ones that you forget are happening. And I think it's been interesting to see, for example, some of the biggest effects in previous decades that no one ever talked about were like Gladiator. People mm-hmm. didn't look at Gladiator and say that was an incredible special effects movie, right? They looked at it, no. oh, it's a historical movie, and oh, he was so great, and oh, this and this. And most people about didn't that stop. Soundtrack? That soundtrack. soundtrack. Who is this Hans Zimmer? But the so many of these people would look at that movie and not think about the fact that the Colosseum was recreated and it was all digital and all those people milling around were all CGI. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. and at the time well, the Titanic it, came out, everybody was so like, "Oh my God, they made the they made the ship and it cracked in half, and all the people are falling off the the, the bridge, and it's so realistic and it doesn't hold up to today's standards, certainly, but um, or at least the close up stuff still don't." But that's where all the money was. That's where all the effects were, and that's what um, shocks me about m- movie making today is that average movies have incredible special effects budgets because they're using them in place of. Uh, on locations shooting, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That, that 
romantic comedies have have effects budgets so that they can build up backgrounds and things. It's just unbelievable that that happens. And so I guess my point is, um, on the one hand, the money shot didn't feel like a money shot other than the poster. But on the other hand, you have already bought Young Fury. Like, when we saw fake Tarkin, and oh. we saw fake <laughs> Leia, and we saw fake Rachel... We had different degrees of uncanny valley of us forcing ourselves. Can we accept this? When they announced that they were going to de-age Fury and Coulson, mm-hmm. immediately we had our blind our, our goggles on. Like, well, okay, I want to see. And when we saw him and what they had done, you know, we're like, okay, that seems like it's plausible. But now this one, the entire trailer went through, and I didn't think about his the CGI that went into smoothing him out. Yeah, agreed. I think that's really. Um, that's subtle, and and uh, that's some of the best special effects to me. Mm-hmm. Is uh, world building special effects that you don't think about, yeah. As opposed well, to your I mean, favorite, the Lord of the Rings with the infinite bridges and all that stuff. Well, you know, the, you know, the <laughs> but uh, um, I will also point out that I think just a little shout out to Guillermo del Toro. One of the yeah. best uses of CGI I've ever seen in my life was The Devil's Backbone. Mm. And I need uh, to see that movie. It because it, it, it's so understated and yet so creepy and so powerful. Um, I saw some it, of it in that there was a little retrospective on his use of creature design that mm-hmm. I watched on YouTube. I may have sent it to you, or you may have seen it. And there was a lot of Devil's Backbone in there, and I was like, "Holy crap! I haven't seen that." Yeah, I also I realized I hadn't remembered a lot of the Hellboy, some of the Hellboy imagery from Hellboy Two, where he really went nuts. Well, I mean, you can also go catch it in the uh, the shape of water. Sure, it's, it's in there too. Do you know that's still on my list? I haven't seen it yet. At least I have it. Have now. you read the book? Have you read the book? No, I don't read I... books. We talked about this. <laughs> that's my problem. I don't have time. Me flunk English? That impossible. <laughs> hey, one other thing about Captain Marvel. Um, I liked. Do you remember when the first um, when the first poster came out and she's standing in the doorway of the hangar? And mm-hmm. people figured out when they started um, tweaking the saturation and the color tints and stuff, they detected that there was what appeared to be a cat in the corner of the. There's a cat in the corner of the um, poster. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? Mm-hmm. And so now this time you see him and he's like all you know. It's so funny that he's he's scratching this cat and all this. Well, all the genre people. This went beyond my knowledge, but a lot of the genre people pointed out that that's a that's a species in the Marvel cosmos stuff that has like pocket dimensions in their mouths and all this. I mean, really? Yeah. It's a Mary wow. Sue for, for, for animal lovers, but <clears throat> apparently it's an alien species that has a lot of power. I really hope that's what happens. Cause I think that would be very interesting. Just like the mice <laughs> and the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Huh? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Anything else you can think of about this, this uh, trailer? Um, other than I thought this was a very masterful filler. Mm hmm trailer i like that we still uh, didn't get a lot of scroll yeah and uh it's not about infinity war it really is not about Thanos. yeah um yeah they they still are maintaining that in a good way because i'm still i'm absolutely convinced now more than ever that the final scene in captain marvel is going to be Thanos just nuking nova prime that's an i mean that is an interesting idea that that's the way they'll take it. So my why t- didn't they why didn't they show that in Infinity War? Because right. they're going to show it in this, and it's going to be her motivation to new Kim out. Yeah, I think I, mean, I think that's viable. Yeah, I think um, there were a couple of my pet theories 
that haven't been disproven in this trailer. I'm still... The, the first one is that my belief is that she is not a human that has been transformed into a Kree, mm-hmm. but that she's actually a scroll that was transformed into a Kree. And I'm, right. I'm sticking with that badass idea all the way through until I'm proven wrong. And so you think was, kind of a Loki snow troll kind of thing? Yeah, I think that there's, they even had it, I mean, there was a little hint of something in this trailer that seemed to bolster my idea, which the is green that blood. you see a scene, no, true, but I think Kree have, because, uh, I mean, that could also be Kree, it could also be, you're right, I don't know, because some, kinda, Kree, some Kree are straight blue, some Kree are straight blue. Yeah. The Kree, the Kree are a, spe- are a multi-species empire, so there's a lot of other interbreeding and some other things that could be going on, but no, it was, it's basically Manhattan. Yeah, right. There was a there was a scene where she's upside down and they're blasting her with energy, and it's a bunch of scrolls standing around her, and then it goes right into uh, Air Force flashbacks. So my anyway, so my working theory remains that she was a a deep cover scroll agent put on Earth and planted with Earth memories before she was then brought to the Kree, and there's so going to be something. They, that's, they, they knew the Kree were going to go pick her up. I don't know that. I don't know anything about that, but I think that that's going to one of the main things that is going to put her in conflict with the rest of Space Force and her Cree heritage is mm-hmm. them figuring out that she's not who what she thought she was and that she is actually the enemy to them or that she's some other combination. You don't think she's going to pull a Clark Kent and more self-identify with Earth than she does with, you know, the... I think she will, but I think that that's part of the... But I think I think um, I'm fascinated by that as a storyline in mm-hmm. other things, too. I like the idea of when people find out that they are their, they are the enemy and they aren't prepared for rewriting their brains to accommodate that. So mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating because if she's been raised as a Kree or she has been reprogrammed as a Kree... She's got full-on scroll hatred. So then to find out that she's actually a scroll. So I think that Mendo is going to be like, you're one of us. You know, you're a mm-hmm. deep cover agent, and you're actually one of us all along. And she's going to be like, what the fuck? Also, and this ties to my other theory and goes back to the thing about uh, Jude Law. I think that Jude Law is not... Re- I'm hoping that Jude Law is not really the big bad and that he is being positioned in that way as a de- as a misdirect that we're supposed to think he is the big bad mm-hmm. um, and that he doesn't trust her or that he's undermining her but that it's going to be that his responses and his weird looks and things that we have seen hints of and the darkness that we're seeing it's because he figures out that she's a scroll oh so, I was going to go with I was going to go with the, the more viable option of it it's all about that. It's, it's all about Thanos so, but um, it would be interesting to see if they try to pull that off, like uh, sort of like Gary Sinise and Imposter, right? Back um, based on that Philip K. Dick book, mm-hmm. where all along he's maintaining his innocence. He absolutely is not an alien bomb walking around in a human skin coat, and uh, and then he is, yeah. And then he blows up and takes everybody out. That would be interesting. All right, so Captain Marvel, and and uh, the only other thing I would say is that it was a. Am- <sighs> Until tonight, when we found out that the Avengers trailer didn't land or whatever dropped, um, what was astounding to me was that we were going to start the week with a Captain Marvel trailer and end it with an Avengers trailer. I was like, holy crap, man. But we will. We will. We will. But I I guess that's the bigger picture here. We don't have the Avengers trailer to talk about at this moment. But 
watching that trailer and thinking, man, this is one half of a of a of a celestial bridge is pretty wild. So the question is, will Captain Marvel show up in the new Avengers? Oh yeah, I think she definitely is. See, I'm still hoping that it's just like Robert Downey Jr. showing like how to do fondue, <laughs> or you know, uncomfortable, uncomfortable uh, V-neck or um, what do you call uh, big turtleneck sweaters? Yeah, yeah. Well, when you're stranded on a planet and you're hungry, what do you do? Kind of thing, <laughs> uh, you know, or uh, <laughs> creative manicures by the Hulk, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Blake, begin begin again, Blake. I have other items on our. Red Red Sky Runner up. I think on, we should talk on our Red Tide Rising. On our Red Tide Rising, uh, <laughs> the next one I have here is that Preacher was re- renewed for season four. Yes, and I'm super stoked because I haven't seen season three. And do you know why that is? Because mm-hmm. AMC, being sons of bitches, don't have it on the AMC streaming app. Mm-hmm. All they show is extras or some sort of thing like that or trailers for. And yet, but they're not showing. Episode. They took it off or something. Like I think it was on and it's off again. So in my queue, I finally got to it, and I turned it on. I got all excited, and there was nothing there. Ladies and gentlemen, this is another example of how procrastination never pays. God damn it, man. Except for when it absolutely pays. And so anyway, I'm frustrated. Except when it does. It's not one of those. I want to see Preacher Season 3, and I'm excited about Preacher Season 4. Um, but anyway, so that's that. You, you are always, you are always such a hopeful optimist. You're, I you're am. excited to see season four when you don't even have any idea about season three. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. I just no, glad that it exists. Thing, that that is the human condition on the oh, positive side. I am. I live. I live. I live it. One hundred percent, man. I want to be. I want to be enthusiastically enjoying the thing. So I'm going to hold out, hoping that thing is enjoyable until they give me a Venom trailer. You know? Yeah, it's all those glorious midichlorians that are yes. happening in your bloodstream. It's really nice. Another item. Item. Uh, they, another casual disappointment leading to unfounded hope. Uh, maybe. Uh, maybe. They, by, by the way, just as an aside, season yes. three of Preacher rocks. It's, 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 in, it's amazing, and I cannot wait for you to see it. And I'm very excited about season four because they left season three with just some smash bow. Uh, they really didn't do that, did they? So it's great. Awesome. Uh, so the next item is that they released a trailer for the next season of Runaways. Now, did you see the last one or no? Mm-mm. Okay, so Runaways is another Marvel property that's on yet another distribution network. So this one's Hulu. And the Runaways. Oh, I, thought was, was, I thought it was QVC. Sorry. <laughs> so Runaways is one of my favorite uh, Marvel comics of the last 20 years. And it's, really? this, this is this is a, a bunch of teenagers in L.A. who discover that their parents are supervillains, like they are the supervillain gang that's running Los Angeles's underworld, and they freak out and run. And they're the runaways. They're on the on the run, and their parents are trying to find them and kill them, basically because they know too much about what their parents are doing. So it there's a is, whole lot of that, that's a whole lot of parenting issues and everything. I else. was going to say it's a really interesting take on some very classic themes very and, and a, tropes. it, it yeah. very but it's so that is so old school marvel though right mm-hmm. god don't you just aren't parents the worst how about when they're the worst <laughs> right and so anyway the the story well, that's, kind of, that's kind of the whole thing with x-men and new mutants yeah so um anyway so the first two volumes of runaways the first two sort of seasons of it as a comic were just so good. I was really surprised at how well they did this book. 
it's a comic for teenagers that actually talks to teenagers like teenagers, but not as like, hey, hey, hello, fellow kids, you know, but like actually seems like it's real. The kids are going through things that seem very um, tangible and that their stresses seem very realistic. So I was just astonished by this book. I love it. I've okay. wanted it. We even back in the day did a fantasy casting for this film. Um, and anyway, so then they made this this show on Runaways and. And uh, the first season was it, it has a hint, it has maybe too much of the Arrowverse or One Tree Hill CW kind of vibe teen soap opery vibe in how they executed it. In fact, I, I think the show everything that I hate about the Arrow. Yeah, sure. They, it, I think that the showrunners even came out of that world. But I also think it's a very good uh, interpretation of a Marvel property. Mm-hmm. Some of the, I mean, they're working on a much smaller budget than some of these other shows, so you don't get a whole lot of powers and abilities and things. Mm-hmm. But they spend a lot of time on characterization and design, um, and there's some really interesting. Uh, there's a really interesting voice in how things look, and and sort of the music. The music is very consistent and interesting, so it's really worth seeing. It's on Hulu, and they just um, announced and started showing the trailer for season two, and I'm excited that it's going forward because. At the end of season, it's sort of like what they did with Preacher. The end of season one, we finally got to where the comics were. Mm-hmm. Just like how Preacher season one was like proto Preacher, right? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so anyway, there's that. So that's Runaways. That's another. I, one. I, I'm looking at it right now, and um, I put it on my to watch list. And and what I should do? I'm not sure on this one. I almost feel like like I want to give you. I have all the volumes in hardback. I think I loaned them to Chris at one point too. But I have these. Uh, large volumes of the of the best of that series um, that I can loan you to read, um, or you can get it on the Marvel Unlimited um, app if you have that. Yeah, I'm not doing it. that. They are very worth um, they're very worth reading. I don't know whether it helps you or hurts you to read them versus seeing the show. It's sort of like the way Expanse and how I understand Annihilation to be, where they're they they're so similar and yet so different that maybe it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. But, I'll probably watch it and then ask you for the books because okay. Really because great. I will tell you one thing: the books are premised on some fundamental sort of shocking moments that I have not seen manifested in the show. So that's mm-hmm. part of it that's interesting. It's definitely one of those things where I'm watching the show, waiting for the shoe to drop, and it hasn't dropped. And I'm like, wait a minute, are they not going to drop Where's the shoe? Where's the shoe? Yeah. Where's right. the shoe? Right, right, right. Um, okay, so item. We have a few more items here. Item. Uh, <clears throat> did you know? That they have greenlit a whole series of Blade Runner anime. No, I did not. So it is the same uh, house and uh, director of the best of those tie-in pieces, which was the mm-hmm. one where all of the replicants orchestrated their their um, simultaneous attacks on the uh, power centers of those different. Remember that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's that group, but there's a number of sort of superstar animators that are working on different vignettes. So it's gonna be kind of an anthology, um, but all with that as the larger picture um, creative director happening. I think it sounds great. You know, that's we desperately want more of the of that Blade Runner world. Yes. So, so and and given how much I love that particular animated uh, tie-in, I'm really excited about that. I'm I'm excited about it, but I really want to see how they pull it off because they can really get into some really idiotic tropes if they fall into it another item item uh is that 
while they allow Man of Steel and Batman and Justice League and Flash and Green Lantern to wallow in nothingness, DC continues to greenlight weird-ass films. So apparently the next one that they're after is doing a Zatanna film. (laughs) What? They can't make the Pantheon make sense on film. But now they're going after their tertiary characters. I, I don't know what to tell you. Well, I thought they were going to go for Swamp Thing. Yeah, they should. That was Del Toro's yeah. thing that he walked away from. Was that Justice League Dark where he pulled together all of the the sort of the paranormal and weird DC characters and put them in a team. Mm-hmm. And then they basically got cold feet on it. So anyway, Oops. Zatanna, she's known for being a magician and her spells are her talking backwards and fishnets. So sounds wonderful. When and I, I saw that even, that was I'm being, not even, I'm, not, I'm not even familiar with that property at all. Well, when I saw that, if you if you type in Zatanna, you'll probably get more did. than I just did. Yeah. I'm I'm going to wish I never had. Yeah. Keep screen keep safe search on probably. The thing is, oh, uh, I'm on I'm on oblivion mode. Yeah, the the problem that I have with it is it reeks very much of the whole thing of executives getting the wrong idea out of a property and how we talk about how like so Logan went well so then they're going to green light all these things that look and smell like a Logan that don't they miss the point of what made Logan good or like they're like Deadpool went well and so we're going to have a bunch of irreverent cussing fourth wall characters not realizing but, but, but they missed the point the reason why those both worked well is because the studio executive stayed the F away right so Zatanna reads to me like a studio executive saw Wonder Woman did well and said well and I don't know what we need to do and Doctor Strange and Doctor and Strange find him. right 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 we're going back to, go to the wrong. going back to the thing about and, voice. We get Miley, and we'll get Miley Cyrus to start. So I didn't mention this earlier, but I thought it thought it. I will mention it now. Going back to my unpopular treatise about um, pitch in voice and how those tropes affect your perception of the character. One of the things that I think really grounded Gal Gadot's uh, Wonder Woman was that she has a husky voice. Okay, I will leave that there. Okay. You have to like husky voices, I guess, but I thought it really worked for her. No, and, an, and an accent, of course, and the accent. But I, I guess I'm just going to be more open to having that initial response without seeing the whole thing. Right? Fair enough. So... We'll see. I will just see. I mean, because otherwise I'd just be like, Jude Law, I never want to see him again. Fair. <laughs> so, another item. Item. Um, the Russos... Mm-hmm. have implied in some way enough so that the, all of the news channels went nuts about disseminating variations on the story. But they made a suggestion that there's more... Are talking about killing again? Did they film I am not. Okay. I am not. It's the exact opposite of that. They are implying that the reason why Chris Evans was so emotional was that this is not the end for Captain America... Or not the end for him in the Marvel Universe or something like that. Is everyone getting all excited about this? Suggesting that this means, first of all, that it's not just a bunch of misinformation ongoing. But also, that it means that there's more Captain America, Steve Rogers Captain America happening after Infinity War. But I choose to believe that it's my continuing theory that we're going to see the rewrite of him in reality and he's going to become Captain Hydra. And that his, you know, he's still going to be around, but he's not going to be 
Steve Rogers as we know him, but we'll see. That's a, that's much better than my alternative theory, which is he goes back to become the revisited Human Torch. <laughs> yes, that's true. Or that uh, they do, they use that crazy uh, CGI on him and make him his big head with the little body again. Yeah, exactly. Buggy. And, uh, <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> who needs a who needs a shield when you've got a walk? Exactly. <laughs> uh, I'm, I've been trying to make you laugh all night, and I'm not succeeding very well. You're but trying to make I, what? I'm trying to make you laugh, and I'm not succeeding very well. I thought that was brilliant. No, I like it. When you got a walk, I mean, come on, it's versatile. You can cook. It's you know. I, I do like it, and I am laughing. Okay, on the inside. Item. You're just full of items tonight. I have a lot of items. Tonight's an item session, so I have items to, t- to share with you. Here's another item I have for you. Uh, you know how I continue to be optimistic as I as I do about the Kingsman prequel, even though it is Dog Lunch Central, quite literally in the case of Kingsman 2, where it was Cyber Dog Lunch. <laughs> I, I, yeah, the, 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 best, the, the only thing I liked about Kingsman 2, The Golden Circle, uh, was uh, Elton John. Yeah. I like the meat grinder a fair amount. Actually, and frankly, I, I like the whole the surreal the Bond villain surreality of the of the fifties town that she built, and she's in the in the cafe or in the diner. All that was okay. We talked about this before. I even liked a lot of the. I liked the Statesman. It just then fell apart immediately and became uh, a dog's lunch. Tim, Timothy Dalton uh, era Bond, and it was terrible. All right. Well, anyway, so, <laughs> so I, have, I was, was, was going to go with Moonraker, but you, you trumped me. So the Kingsman prequel is supposed to be set in the early 1900s. Hello. Mm-hmm. How much am I going to like that, man? So old timey institutionalized steampunk, racism. Steampunk, yep. Cigars. Um, so Sherlock Holmes crossover. It'll oh, be great. So um, Daniel Brühl. Mm-hmm. Who I who I adore, Age of Ultron, and among other things, Charles Dance, Tywin, yes. fucking yeah. a, uh, and Reese Evans. They're all been they have all been cast, and uh, in Evans' case, one of them, even I think, is the one they've described his character as a mysterious. Uh, well, anyway, they've described him in such a way that it seems like he's going to be Rasputin. So oh, cool. I'm all 100% down yeah. Yeah, yeah. if they're going to go with, uh, you know, historical uh, sorcery and all that stuff. Yeah, I, yeah. Love that stuff. I love uh, that stuff. As long as they don't go with the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, it's all, this, it's all that Hellboy stuff I love. I really hope mm-hmm. they go that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, also, well, I, I, but just a little side here. Did you see The Alienist? with our friend Mr. Brule. Oh man, I haven't yet. It's on my list. Is it going to go away too? Dude, it is so effing good. You've got to see it immediately. Should I move it to the top of my list? Because I have should. some planned plundering. You should. It is, um, it, that is a fantastic show. Because I really want to see it, but you know, the list yeah. is long. No, but th- this is well worth watching and I think it's only eight episodes. Alright, I'm going to put it on there. Eight. I mean, well, it's ten episodes, sorry. Well, that's that's not a bad thing for me. And and by Netflix standards, Netflix Marvel standards, that would be like a tight, concise. Yeah. Um, so another item item is uh, the Mandalorian has had some news. Mm. Uh, one of which is that um, they canceled it. Nope. You yeah. son of a bitch. Let's be positive here. I can't. It's got Pedro Pascal now. He's the Mandalorian. Or no, you... maybe he's not. He's the one in the armor. But here's the deal. 
some script treatment or something got leaked that suggests that it's sort of a lone wolf and cub situation. I think the script treatment just leaked. There was an oil that didn't stick to the paper. I see. They are suggesting that it's a lone wolf and cub situation, that he's got a baby that he's trying to protect while he's cruising around. Maybe that baby is the last Mandalorian. I don't know. Who's to say? We don't know. You don't know. But it could be good. The other thing, also, possibly less optimistic about this, Nick Nolte was cast in this series. And when you think about when you think about Star Wars's penchant for really bad stereotypes and things, can you imagine Nick Nolte like suddenly being in the Star Wars universe, like behind the counter of some CD bar? I'm working it, you know, like it's gonna be terrible. Maybe if he's a stripper, yeah, yeah, a cyber stripper, a cyber Nolte stripper. So, so now I'm just waiting for this. Will be great. We're just waiting for the Nick Nolte, Gary Busey, uh, Woody Harrelson crossover episode. That'll be great. They're all voicing those horrible droids from the prequels. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. You know, it'll be like Priscilla. Roger, Roger. Yeah, Priscilla, <laughs> dork of the desert. It'll be awesome. <laughs> Priscilla, dork. Oh, Terrence Stamp. Why isn't Terrence Stamp in a fucking Star Wars thing? Oh, he was. He, he was, was the Chancellor of Alorum. Yes. Why didn't he get more to do? Why couldn't he be in the modern Star Wars stuff, I ask you? Oh, because he knows it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's that. Yeah. Tell him I'm coming. <laughs> When's the last time you saw that movie? Uh, oh, probably 10 years ago. Tell him I'm coming. I still have a giant poster of his head from that movie. I loved it. Okay, item. Uh, so, Marvel. Wait, wait. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, okay. Two more. Two more before the main one. Okay, so a sub item is uh, another Ayers Suicide Squad thing. He finally revealed the concept art, proving that before wait, they, they, we wait, got wait, they, no no wait, 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 before, they had a concept they had a concept before we got that weird killer croc or whatever he is where Echo from Lost was in a whole bunch of top heavy makeup and swam around <laughs> that whole thing. Uh, before that, he originally had King Shark as the character, and King Shark in the comics is like bottom half is a guy, top half's a fucking giant great white shark, <laughs> and it's ridiculous and powerful, cool. But no, it's not even a great white. I think it's like a hammerhead shark. It's a hammerhead. So anyway, yeah. they showed concept art of what that was supposed to. That was originally supposed to be the character on the team. Oh man, I wish they had done that. Can you imagine? It's like seven feet tall, eight feet tall. It's got a hammerhead. Eating people <laughs> like I think that would have been amazing. Wearing slacks, you know. No. <laughs> I mean, fucking great. Wearing a smoking jacket. Like, you should try out these Vienna sausages. The only way I would go see that if is if uh, Jeff Goldblum was inside of it. Now this is this is the thing. Can you imagine that? There should be an app. You know how they do those things. They make apps for the kids today. There should be an app where you can make a Jeff Goldblum out of anything. And like, if you have any footage of something and it overdubs Jeff Goldblum, just Goldblooming about in that footage. It could be on Golden Pond. It could be Schindler's List. It could be Rocky Four, and just insert Goldblum in the middle of whatever that footage was. Just the voice. It would be amazing. I would love him to do the Dolph Lundgren Rocky Four. Like, I must break you. Hey, is that a bird? <laughs> I will say, as he's becoming 
almost on the edge of being um, a little overexposed. No. He, he fully knows. He believes his own shit. He fully knows the shtick that he has. I just don't care. I, I disagree with the first statement. I don't think he's getting overexposed at all. I think uh, any amount of Jeff Goldblum is the right amount. Is, I think it's an N plus one of Goldblum, but I'm willing to allow him to be overexposed. I watched I, I, him doing one of those Google uh, auto autocomplete interviews, and he's like, blah, 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 blah. and you know, he's so singy songy getting through it that you don't really care what was on the card, right? Yeah. Because to me, to me, it's uh, the same fascination I had with like just listening to anything with Hunter S. Thompson talking. Mm. <clears throat> it just didn't matter. And, Chris, <clears throat> like, and Christopher Walken. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, let me tell you how to dance. I was playing marbles in the zoo with a bunch of monkeys, and then they started tap dancing, and I did it too. You know, it's just <laughs> like what? <laughs> <clears throat> what? I would love like like interpretive dance by Isabella Rossellini. Like, okay, I'm in. That, <laughs> like that. Yeah. I still, I still haven't gotten over that actually. Sex shrimps or whatever she was. No bed, yeah, like bed bugs, like bed bugs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember how uh, among the many things that made True Romance an amazing script, uh, ported into a really cool movie, despite it being Tony Scott. That R.I.P. sequence, huh? R.I.P. Tony. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, long ago. But so, I mean, I love that movie. But what I'm saying is the the money moment of that whole movie was Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper in that whole thing. Yes. Uh, I could watch that a million times. It's even better than Gary Oldman's White Dread thing. But no, can it, you imagine? It, by, by far. By oh, far. Yeah, but, that but, was unbelievable. But can you imagine now a Christopher Walken versus Jeff Goldblum scene? But not intense and, and scary, but just like being just, I don't know, random them just going no, crazy? I, I want to see them. In a karaoke spinning out, no karaoke. karaoke competition. A karaoke competition. I think that would be the best with samurai swords. With sam- <laughs> you got you you lost me, then you got me right back in. Right, they're, they're at a bowling alley on a stage. It's midnight on a Tuesday. There Sudden death karaoke bushido. Sudden death karaoke bushido. Okay. Like my dragon jukebox is much stronger than your panda. Oh my god! And you've you've seen right. all the the you've seen the the cut footage from Ragnarok where mm-hmm. the like, like they just let him go. Oh my god! Watch hours of that. Just just let him roll. All right. Second to last item. That leads you to the said, last you item. You said that last time. No, no. Second to last item. Penultimate. Uh, this Disney, is your penultimate Disney item. Plus. Mar- so Disney has confirmed for Disney Plus that they are doing that Scarlet Witch show, but they've actually said it's going to be the Vision and Scarlet Witch. Now, granted, it should actually be the Scarlet Witch and Vision, <laughs> but... <laughs> so what is it going to be, them teenagers? No, but what I... Well, yeah, right, because continuity <laughs> is fluid... Demi Lovato, Demi Lovato, and Beaver back at it again. But I think, but I think, what's exciting about that though is they keep showing us more and more uh, that they're going to be bringing these Hollywood film actors and put them in the streaming service. That's exciting that they could bring in that much star power and tie them to serialized shows. Like, so, so who are they bringing in? Are they bringing in the real? Yeah, supposedly. Really? Elizabeth Olsen and uh, and uh, Paul Bettany. Paul Bettany, Jarvis himself. Yeah. yeah, 
So anyway, I think that's just optimistic. Well, that, that makes me optimistic good. because they're putting a lot of money into it. Star Wars, The Mandalorian apparently has a, a per episode budget that makes Game of Thrones look cheap. That that doesn't mean necessarily good thing. God damn it! So my sub, so my second to last uh, no, item no, wait, leads to my no, no, last wait, item. No, wait. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Did you put peanut butter uh, peanut butter on your business and the dogs? Help no, no. That that's uh, and Nagi is uh, suffering from more and more incontinence. So mm. anytime she gets up and walks around, I let her outside because, I mean, everyone, if you have a Great Dane, it's basically like living with a homeless person. Yes. And uh, if they have to go, you, you really want to make sure they go outside. Somehow this perfectly aligns with my last item, which is Gary Busey. Gary Busey. Your Great Dane homeless person incontinence dovetails nicely with our last item, which is that. Netflix canceled Daredevil. Yes, and we knew it was coming. And wasn't I? What, what, what was it? I, no, I. No, knew we knew it was coming. coming. I, in the big I, picture, we knew it was, was coming because yeah. they were going to let go of all of them because they're not going to. I was the optimistic. Them. I'm pretty sure the last time in the episode we haven't released it because of public decency concerns. We did. Um, Daredevil. We did. Really? It's out. You. It came out while you were in uh, Bora Bora uh, or whatever. When I was in the hospital. Yeah. Oh. No, it was after your hospital, and when you were, it was out when you were gallivanting about in the Caribbean. Oh, the Dominican Republic. Yes. Yeah. Um, I'm so sure go listen I to was, that. I'm pretty sure I was the guy who said, "Oh, they're going to let it go for another season, and then they might mix it." And then you're just, you're absolutely right. Well, but so the thing is, inevitable as it was, what I found shocking about this was they canceled it before they canceled some other things. In other words. I know they're running out of things to cancel, but and I know and I know that they've they've implied no, but they've implied that that Daredevil didn't have the audience that it should have had. But the critical reception and the fan reception to it for people who saw it was very high. And if Netflix had really wanted to, they could have stood behind it. They could have advertised it because they didn't originally. They could have pushed and they could have because these things do not expire. They could have built up momentum and gotten a lot of people really really talking about. Daredevil. Now that said, so it was really shocking that they would cancel Daredevil, you know, a month after they finished it, and we thought it was fucking amazing. Yeah, but yeah, I don't know what's left. So we have, so we have uh, Jessica Jones, mm-hmm. and anything else? I think that's it. That's it, right? Yep. And the Jessica Jones. Uh, I think that one's already in the can, so they can't cancel that. Yeah. They already spent that money. Yeah, right. It's it's done. But anyway, so here's the big dilemma, and here's the debate, because no one knows what the hell. But the idea is, well, Netflix is canceling all this stuff because they don't want to give Disney any extra marketing, and they want to and they want to buy into more of their original content and so forth. Yeah. But on the one hand, there's a lot of talk that says, oh, you know. They'll never, you know, Disney slash Marvel on the streaming service will never take on some of these properties. That, oh, Punisher is the other one, man. Punisher is in the can, too. Mm-hmm. That's where well, that's what I'm getting at. OK, so, you know, a lot of the talk is that, well, the Disney Channel will never bring in these properties as they are and put them on that network because they're too dark for Disney. Disney can't handle I don't that. Know, but I don't, but know, I don't that. know that that's necessarily true. <laughs> Uh, I think so the fact that every Disney movie starts with them killing the parents of whomever 
I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that that's the case. They, I can see the Disney streaming service having a variety of content at different time periods or, or whatever, I, you know. Yeah. No, the, the, the only thing an anachronism in streaming, right. but yeah. Right. The, the only thing I am confident in is that Disney will never have an adult channel. Mm. Like like adult like That's Skinamax. What rule like thirty four is for. Yes. Yeah. I understand. They they leave that stuff for the boardroom. Yeah. The um so alternative I mean, cosplay. But yeah, but, but I guess cosplay. Let's dress like humans. <laughs> That's a good idea. Inverse <laughs> inverse cosplay. That's pretty great. I fix copiers. That's amazing. It's so realistic. All right, so uh <laughs> I'm not an executroid. I'm a poster boy. Oh no. The thing um oh my god, you just reminded me of one of my favorite early web comics that I have to find if he ever restarted it. It was called uh, Warbot in accounting. <laughs> so it was like, and it was, you know, what was in the tin is on the label, man. It's exactly what it was. It's like a giant, giant war war robot looking at a printer that, or like a copier that's not working. It's like, anyway. Uh, so okay, so so the the thing is, so the one hand they're saying, oh well, this stuff will never be brought over because it's too dark and it's too real mm-hmm. and whatever else. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, they anybody say, see Mulan? Come on. Mm-hmm. Well, so uh, Wuhan, as in the city? No, no. Um, what was it? The Mulan? Mulan. Mulan. Yeah, Mulan. Mulan, where they just girl dressed boy. Them. Yeah, like like millions of people dying. Like, yeah. oh yeah, um, to songs, so, to songs. Like, <laughs> so, uh, so, so. On the other hand, though, unlike when they canceled uh, Iron Fist, Defenders, and uh, Luke Cage. In this case, they said Daredevil will live on. Mm-hmm. And so, I don't know. It's really interesting to me. What makes me sad is the idea that they would recast or recontextualize these characters. Because mm-hmm. I would love it if they just literally brought them over and kept going. Because I think that, I mean, for all of the weaknesses of some of these shows, we've talked about that, where they've there's not enough meat there and they drag things out and whatever. But I think that the, we, we saw some... We saw the direction in which they could streamline, right? Mm-hmm. Daughters of the Dragon series, a Heroes for Hire series with Iron Fist and Luke Cage together, and then Jessica Jones and Daredevil continuing to be series that are that are standalone but also have tie-ins that pull things together. They can continue with these actors that are so well cast and these characters that are so well drawn that's the thing that makes me sad about the cancellations. It's not that I needed another 14 seat, 14 episode iron fist season. Right. But it's that I really like the characters and the settings and the context that they created for that world. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it makes me sad to think that they, they would just abruptly just kill it. So I don't think they will. I want to believe. I don't think they will. I think they'll look. Marvel is really good at maintaining their universe. Yeah. Right. And look how persistent they were with Spider-Man when everybody gave up hope. Yeah. Uh, look how persistent they've been with the, the X-Men. Um, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And they can probably lowball the cast to coming in to, to keep it going as well. Right. So you can't you can't underappreciate the profit margin potential of this. And, you know, Defenders, I think they could probably just Melt and repore completely with no harm, no foul. But um, melt and repore. Yeah, the uh, the I think Daredevil out of all those that you listed, as opposed in addition to Jessica Jones, I think they won't touch. I really want them to bring it back. I love. I mean, and also, just, I have to say, 
it has to do with coming off of that Daredevil season being so on fire. Yeah. Well, if they, if they if they can bring back D'Onofrio, if they can bring back well, because I, no, no, because so you haven't seen the Luke Cage season two, and you haven't I'm seen not. Iron Fist season two. But it, well, I, and I will not. Okay, but in each of those cases, they ended the season by doing something that was way off from continuity in terms of what the comics are and way off from what we interpret is about that character, the the the, the symbolism or the main narrative of those characters. In each of those, the, the last thing in each of those seasons was a radical departure. And so when a show gets canceled after a radical departure, it almost there's something about it that almost feels like, well, it, you know what I mean? Like, it feels desperate when they do something right. radical in the final right. episode, right? Yeah, yeah. but we, we push the envelope. When we do you want me to it. tell you what those each of those were? I will yes, tell please. you. Please. In Luke Cage season two, which in a way I still wish you would watch because one of my favorite of the Marvel villains is in that series. Okay. In terms of the MCU, or I should say the, uh, the Netflix Marvel or, or the live action Marvel. Okay. In, in, uh, in, in season two, one of the main through stories is that the Jamaican gangs have moved in or moved back into Harlem after Cottonmouth has gone at Cottonmouth is pushed back and they build this whole Deep, deep, deep. Are you just counting bills? Like you're like, no, no. You're like no. Willem Dafoe in uh, in To Live and Die in L.A. Right? You're just running the money through the machine. Now I'm counting my quarters. I'm trying to get enough fare for Bart. Okay. The, um, no, I was hoping that you would say they're going to bring in a predator. <laughs> now that would be a thing. So right. in this though, they build this really great deep history of rivalry between the Jamaicans and the American blacks of that story. So Cottonmouth's world and that family line going back is deep South. Right. And they have the Jamaicans and how there were, you know, portions of that family that were aligned with the family that led down, ultimately led to Cottonmouth's era of people and how they were in alignment. Not that long ago. Like this was like the forties or something or the fifties. And then and the 60s, and then there was betrayal and so forth, and then it split apart. And it's so interesting because we have so little of the diaspora. Diaspora. Is that right? Diaspora? Am I saying it right? Diaspora. Diaspora. We have so little of this represented on in live action in historical stories, let alone in fantasy stories, Right. Well, and right now we have, and we have Black Panther and it's doing a lot, but this is really right. interesting because they spent a lot of time and energy showing you this nuance of different sort of different subgroups of people with deep history with each other, fighting for power, fighting for revenge and, and, you know, old blood and all this stuff. It's like practically wild west. And it was amazing. The, the deep cuts that they were doing there that were historical cuts that, that that were plausible, but at the same time, it's it's this fantasy story they made up. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, can I can I can I offer a counterpoint? No. Okay. M- my point is that the 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 whole all the Jamaicans in this season two are badass. The whole storyline mm-hmm. is badass. The mm-hmm. main guy is badass. We talked about him a few one or two episodes ago because I used him in a fantasy casting for something else but it just the the presence of it the culture of it and everything I loved it I loved it 
and the clash between them and the people of Harlem when they moved back in was super fascinating to me. And the deconstruction of the power family that <clears throat> that uh, Cottonmouth had and, and um, what's her name that took on, you know, whatever that moved on from him. It was really interesting to see that internal battle that Luke Cage was on the peripheral of. What were you saying? Mm-hmm. What was your counterpoint? No, I was going to say, I, I can't believe your blatant disregard for historical pieces like Abraham Lincoln, vampire killer, but you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Isn't it sucky that Natalie Portland backed out of uh, Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? <laughs> <laughs> I do think. Well, I think she was she was really torched by that um, one ill-advised uh, comedy that she did. Uh, oh, the fantasy the, one? The, the, the period piece where she was, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like the D and D one with uh, with um, what's his name, Pineapple Express guy. Yeah, uh, Chuck McBride, right? Danny yeah, McBride. yeah, uh, yeah. Danny McBride. We're always firing on all cylinders here at Robot Cracking, aren't we? Um, well, especially at twelve thirty in the morning. Yeah, sure. Uh, it, it, anyway, the point is, um, end of season two of Luke Cage. He he basically defeats everybody, and for whatever reason, he moves into the club, and because of his they did a lot of there's a lot of thematic stuff in that season about how Harlem had positioned him as their hero and what does the media think of him and what do the people think of him what's the propaganda about him versus who he really is and all this stuff and in the end and and him battling the dark the sort of the more violent urges that he has and the instincts to just sort of let loose on people because he can and it breaks him up with Claire and all this stuff anyway at the end of the season he positions himself he takes over that club and it, you know, the clothes bouncing and the band's playing and everyone's dancing. And then he's up in the big round window in a purple, like some sort of zippy purple suit. And he claims he's doing it so that he can be on, you know, have his thumb on all of what's going on and keep an eye on things. And he's going to keep Harlem in control. Like he's going to he's going to handle things by running things. Right. So they made him into the villain at the end of the episode. Of, of that of that season and everyone's like mm-hmm. what the hell are you doing um well he sounds a lot like the kingpin mantra right? that's exactly what it was and it was an interesting approach and i actually was like i really want to see how this pans out it will not pan out um well, you and then and then and then with iron fist season two and it goes on and there was i think iron fist season two was much better than season one mm-hmm. much better it's actually pretty serviceable and it's all triads and stuff so it's all chinese gangs fighting each other um, Pop tart, and ping pong. <laughs> well, and and that guy Davos comes back and he finds a way to getting the Iron Fist back and steals it. And they have this whole thing where if they use certain old timey tattoo artists and a bunch of voodoo, they can transfer the the dragon to him. So so he's got it for a while and whatever. It doesn't matter. But the point is, at the end of it all, it ends with him not taking it back because he feels like he's not worthy of it. Like he hasn't earned. Like, despite all these arguing for two seasons that he doesn't deserve it because the other guy thinks that he stole it and it was the other guy's destiny and all this other shit. And you don't deserve it. You're not doing anything with it. You you let Kunlun die while you're here in New York eating hot dogs or whatever. At the end of this, he's like, well, I really don't earn I I haven't earned this spiritually or whatever, so I'm not going to take it back. And at the very end of the, of the Iron Fist season two, it's transferred to Colleen. And she takes on the Iron Fist. Which I'm like, yay, because Colleen, right? Love her. Yes. yes. And then they show this like six months later, 
and she's fighting in the streets of the city, whatever, being a badass. And guess what? No, it's an iron sword because they, she's channeling it through her, her, her katana. And I'm like, what? that is the fucking worst 90s comics bullshit I've ever seen. She was channeling it from her wrist, like, and it would go up into the scabbard and it would become in the hilt of the sword and then hit, and then the sword would glow. Like, what the so fuck is did. this? They did a crossover Excalibur thing. Yeah, and, and, and the thing about it that just drove me nuts was, you're telling me this person who didn't feel overly um, the need to decapitate people with a samurai sword um, is now going to fight you with a super samurai sword? She's going to cut you and explode you at the same time? Like, it just didn't even... It was tonally so off from that character who had spent the whole season resisting being sucked back into the game that she was trained for. All of a sudden, she's got a glowing sword. I'm like, ah. Well, I mean, to her credit, uh, turning people into rubble is, you know, much more humane than decapitation. That's true. Um, and, and I will say that what I was optimistic about was what, that it positioned Colleen Wing as a major person. And I was hoping for the next step being Colleen Wing and Misty Knight together. Because mm-hmm. that's all we really want. And the mm-hmm. highlight of Iron Fist Season 2 is an episode where they're out kicking ass, doing the Daughters of the Dragon thing together. Well, now that you uh, now that you gave me the summary, I might watch it because they get rid of the person I object to the most. <laughs> yes, that was a that was a, a tagline in the marketing for season two of Iron Fist. Less Iron Fist. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, okay. But so I, just, I, don't, I don't understand. Like, how are they going? How does that work? Like, I don't understand. The whole thing was that it's about the person, not about the things. I know. And then they just made it all about the thing. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. That entire season was so much better than the previous one because of better choreography, better, better scenery, better characters, better script. And yet, in the end, thematically, it meant it was all about, well, the power and not the person. I agree. Mm-hmm. All right, well, that was our Red Sky Roundup in the absence of the Avengers 4 uh, trailer that we thought was coming that didn't come. But, 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 but I have some items. Oh. All right, then you... More, more, more about general discussion topics. Just real quickly. Okay. I just Go ahead. No, yes. What the hell happened to the New Mutants? There was a big bub and then nothing. Oh, yeah, yeah, right. There was some test screenings and some reshoots, and then all of a sudden it was gone. And now it's delayed until August 2nd, 2019. That's not a good sign when New Mutants is knocked a whole year out right so what the hell and and i haven't seen anything about it on any of the the the, right. the limited the limited media i see which is basically uh geriatrics.com <laughs> yeah <laughs> the, the, the good sammers website that you're now <laughs> yes you know look at it. hey there's a two for one in applesauce at QTFT. <laughs> um <laughs> and you know that's two for one on a really big applesauce too no, it's it's the three liter jug. Uh-huh. It, comes, it comes in a German boot, <laughs> which directly ties to your next really bad mixed uh, mixed drink at, in uh, your uh... exactly vodka and applesauce. Oh, sucking a monkey for the, <laughs> just for the taste of it. No, it, it, sucking a monkey would actually be more pleasant than that. Um, but I mean, have you heard anything? Because <laughs> it does disappeared. No, and I even I even check a website when I'm looking at news and stuff. I check a website that has a. Uh, you know, a, a focus on horror stuff, and mm-hmm. it hasn't talked about it at all. And um, mm-hmm. and and Arya, what's her name? Plays Arya. She hasn't been talking about it in the press at all. Is that Maisie Williams? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then again, same thing goes with Dark Phoenix and that whole thing. That they they put a they put a a uh, 
so-so trailer and another poster out, and then all of a sudden that went dark too. Well, I I, I hope they realize how awful that first was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have, I would, I would have liked to see Mark Ruffalo in drag more than that. That was, oh no! You're not a Sophie um, Turner fan, huh? No, I am. You want to see her get way, angry and turn but, red and no, no? But the way that they put, they did that whole trailer. It was like it was terrible. As yes. an example, of what I talked about when you can't make the trailer look good, what does that mean? Right? I know what it means. Yeah, I know what it means. A cyber dog's lunch. Yeah, I know. It's X Men Apocalypse. That's, That's what it right. Means. <laughs> I, I would have rather seen Apocalypse doing a poetry slam than what I watched in Dark Phoenix. That was just awful. Do you see um, those? Did you see those excerpts from whatever, like the 18th interview of the day that uh, Isaacs was doing on whatever project, and he was complaining about how when he signed on for Apocalypse, he didn't know he was in for seven hours of makeup application and not being able to move his neck. It's so random. <laughs> he says he said Apocalypse was the single most exhaust most exhausting project I've ever experienced and then the immediate byline that spread across the internet was that that perfectly encapsulated the experience of watching X-Men Apocalypse. Yes, I was going to say <laughs> I'm right there with you, man. <laughs> it was the most exhausting thing for me as well. My, I had a, my neck was stick my neck was stick stiff and I lost all sense of time as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, my neck got stiff from, you know, huddling over the porcelain throne so much. Yeah. Oh. That's your um, that's your uh, applesauce vodka cocktail at work. That's I think that's the only way I can make that palatable. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You did make me laugh in the end. Yeah, see, there you go. See how it works. Um, yeah. Do you have more I mean, items? I do. Uh, Shazam. Have we heard any updates on that? No. They did more reshoots. Then did more reshoots, and then they started doing press, talking, sort of rationalizing the project. Huh. Saying no, no, no. no this is what we need right now. I I'm, I still hold out hope, but I don't know. Mm. Granted, that hair is still really black, though. Like, it's really black. It looks... But, but, I mean, but that's how it's supposed to be, right? Because it's supposed to be so over the top. It No, but it's not supposed to look like he's trying to sell you gray market Walkmans, though. <laughs> that's, that's what it looks like. I, I'm just waiting for him to show up in, like, a incognito in a Better Call Saul episode. Like, like cell phone, you know, some burners out, you know. You know market. exactly what I mean, right? I know. I bought things from him. <laughs> Is there a warranty with us? Get out of here. Uh, hey, right. want some pizza? Want a Rolex? <laughs> I got okay. a great deal on I got a great deal on Walkmans. Um Do you have more items? I do. Aquaman. Aquaman. Yeah. What is up with the same release on streaming the same day it opens? Are you serious? Yes. No, no. Yes. 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 Someone they're, they're, they're doing it for one day only. You can you can watch it at home. I guess we're looking for the shut-in market that really loves Jason Momoa, but it's for real. Are that they is really happening. doing that? Yeah. No. Yeah. I think you're wrong. I'm not. You're rarely wrong in your profession. I mean, in general, in life, you're rarely wrong. No, I'm, I'm wrong. Not a lot. I'm wrong right. a lot. You, you can ask my wife. You can. I, I'm wrong. I did a lot. not ask your wife. So. Huh. But at the same time, all of the early that like the critics who've seen it, they're not allowed to tell say any details about it or whatever. They talk they what they have said is that they really enjoyed its spectacle and willingness to be earnest and not be overly cynical and, and dark and and uh I don't know, whatever, oppressive the way some of the other DC properties were. So it seems like it's getting some good buzz. 
So it's superhero point break. Great. Well, yeah, absolutely that. I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. Okay, so here's the thing about Aquaman. And it this applies to Flash and many others, but it, Marvel has their versions of this as well. Mm-hmm. But DC is especially bad about this. I have a lot of trouble when a character's entire rogues gallery and its its entire context is is self-referential. So, in other words, I don't watch the Arrowverse stuff, but I see it from afar at the conventions. Mm-hmm. And I'm astonished that they have a show where there's 18 different archers on it. Like, every character is another archer. Mm-hmm. And everyone is an archer, and they've got special arrows, and they're fighting each other. Who's that archer? I don't know. Who's this archer? Flash the same way. Here's another speedster has come up. There's a new villain in town. He runs really fast, right? Mm-hmm. That really drives me nuts. And and to be fair, a lot of times uh, in on the Marvel side, you know, Iron Man is about Iron Man armor fighting other armors. But somehow, to me, that makes sense because that's a whole subset, right? Technology-based villains. But they still would introduce other people and stuff in there. So, <clears throat> I don't know. The thing about Aquaman is that we're being asked to invest in a Waterworld three-hour tour where everyone is a water guy with a trident riding a thing. And just, you know, it's like it's so homogenous sounding. It's like Black Panther. At the end of Black Panther, all of a sudden it's the same thing over and over again. Yeah, Black Panther fighting another Black Panther with Black Panther weapons, and they all have Black Panther weapons. And then we just... well, I mean, and th- that was my major problem with Iron Man Two, right? Right. And I and I really hope for Black Panther they take it in a different way. Now, now that he's opened up Wakanda, right? right? Um, maybe he can go find out who really killed Khashoggi. The um, ah. <laughs> I, uh, I misspoke. Let me let me clarify and correct. Amazon is offering its Amazon Prime members an exclusive early showing of Aquaman on December 15th. Right. I've, I have seen that. And, so the, and, they're, and they're doing it in the theater. It's not online. Yeah, okay. it's not online. So I, I, I just But it saw. is still, but even in, a, in and of itself, that is still pretty wild because I don't remember any, I don't remember any tie-in like that before. Yeah, and Amazon Prime members can purchase up to 10 tickets each. Which is a pretty blatant attempt to fill seats. I don't the know. other thing I'm, I'm terrified of is Dolph Lundgren in this thing, man. What? Yeah. No. Dolph Lundgren is in Aquaman. He's also in, isn't he and his character in Creed 2? Or Creed 1? Maybe he's I, I, Creed 1. No, Creed, I don't watch the Rocky no, it's, movies, Creed, but... it's Creed 2 that he's in, yeah. And he's got his young Russian guy that's fighting, and he's the old coach right. now and, and he killed Creed's father and then it's uh, thrown as a surrogate dad and Dolph Lundgren and the Russian yeah, blah 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 yeah to be fair though Dolph Lundgren as a human pretty fascinating he is very fascinating much like you he's an educated man he's a man of science right he, he is uh, which just makes me wonder why he <laughs> married Brigitte Brigitte Nielsen? We don't know what her deal was. Maybe she was a woman of something. Maybe she was a woman of... Huh? No. I've seen her in Flavor Flav, that show they did together. No. Oh, yeah. You're right. right. No. Irredeemable. Yeah. But he was like a... What was he? Like a nuclear physicist or something? What was he? I think he was was a chemical engineer, actually. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah. I think that's fascinating. No, he's actually a really smart man. It's uh, just like if you... uh, Statham is a really smart guy, too. No. Yes. No, I'm he not is. saying I'm not saying I don't think he's intelligent, but 
is he exceptionally so? Like, is that a thing? Like Dolph oh, Lundgren no. is? No, 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 no. But but if you listen to him and you and you like, if you go back, is to his that your career, dog? You know, you go back to his early career, like Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that Jason Statham was a lot more entertaining to me than this Jason Statham. Oh, totally, totally. That's absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. He became he became the trope that he was a refreshing. I don't know, respite from. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He, he, he suffered from Diet Richie Syndrome. I just could not believe, and this goes, I mean, this kind of goes back to the Venom thing, but I could not believe at all that there was any teeth behind the Meg. And I know that's a pun. But I thought that the Meg was the example of where the guy really jumped the shark. That's also a pun. Yeah. Because, it like, everything about that just seemed like the most ridiculous, cheesy Sharknado... Everything. Although I read a lot about the the makings of that script that it had been around for fifteen years or twenty years, and the Sharknado. guy who wrote it, no, the Meg, the guy who wrote it, had been trying to get this thing done for multiple iterations of studio leadership, and it's been on and off for all this time. And you know, going back to its earliest roots, it's not that far off from Jaws. It's really not the Sharknado that it appears, but and then again, it is. It totally is. And how is it that so many people liked? The Meg, when it is what it is, because you take a look at the world we live in. Yeah, those kind of fantastic. We do live in the Meg, reality, in right? Some would right? say that. I'm you, sure you put the you put the Meg in an orange wig, and you're like, ah, I see what you. It all makes sense. I propose that we transition to the plan plundering segment. If you do not have more red sky roundup. Items. No, I, items. I just thought, I just felt like I had to contribute something to the conversation. You so. did. You. This has been one hundred percent your contribution. So let me ask you this: You have no more news items. You ready to proceed with your plan plundering? Do you have? I do am you have plundering for, planned. I do actually. Tell me what it is. Well, this is I a segment like, we call plan plundering, where we talk about things we're going to watch or see or do or read something. Something like that. Yes. Yeah. So I am very interested in watching the second season of um, Fortitude. Fortitude? Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Tell me more. Did you see the first season? I did. I did. And um, um, Remind me about this project because I know the name, but I'm trying to remember what it is. So it's just, it's uh, the series where they're up north. So it's kind of oh, okay. alien vibe. I mean, the huh. thing vibe mm-hmm. with it. Right. And it's a town in the Arctic, really small town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the ship also, and everything. Uh, right. Also 30 days a night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And uh, the first season was really interesting because you couldn't tell the psychodrama between the characters versus the major plot element that threatened everybody. I like that. Right? Mm -hmm. Right? And Exactly like Iron Man 2, by the way. No. uh, (laughs) There was no uh, Grand Prix in Fortitude. Don't get on the Grand Prix. That was amazing. That was the best armor, too. It was. Suitcase armor. Suitcase armor, you know what? How does he check that in? How anyway, does he carry him? Yeah, like uh, conservation of mass. Anyone? Yeah, no, I, never mind. Yeah, well, it's the same thing with the nanotechnology now. Like sure. it doesn't, it doesn't work out. Sure. Anyway, um, imagine him sitting in a chair. Well, yeah. or also in Iron Man three when his armor's sitting on the couch, right? Yes. What couch was that? The, had a well, concrete underlayer. It, it had to be a Barca lounger, obviously. The um. But what's interesting is that so in the first season they had Stanley Tucci as kind of the the main guest star, right? Yes. And in season two they had Dennis Quaid. 
what? And yeah. And what's fascinating is that everybody else is this Nordic speaking, you know, yeah. <laughs> out in the hinterland. And then you've got Stanley Tucci coming in, like just a New York. Right. Dicer, and then Dennis Quaid doing Dennis Quaid. Like there, there is nothing you can do with Dennis Quaid except let him be Dennis Quaid. I love this. Yeah. So I'm really excited to see season two of that just to see where they take it. It's actually a really great show that hasn't made a big splash, but uh, I like it. The, the best the best synopsis I had is this is Northern Exposure meets the X-Files. So what channel is it on or what streaming service or what is it? Uh, it is on Amazon. Hmm. Huh. No, um, no, I'm sorry. Netflix. Sorry. Oh, Netflix. Okay. Uh, you know, on my list, on my list that I haven't gotten to yet is uh, The Man in the Iron Castle. Mm-hmm. The Man in the High Castle. Which I, you know, even when they were producing it, I was excited about it. But, I mean, that's just how I, I mean, I haven't gotten back to Ultra Carbon. I mean, it's like I have a long list here. Well, but, when you do, we, we, we should have a... Oh, we uh, will. A, a talk session about Ultra Carbon. That was a, Oh, yes. A, yeah. And you... Remind me, you you said you were not going to watch the last season of House of Cards because we I I, came, I am not I said I said, not. I said Ugh, at the end of our last session, but I don't recall if you were going to watch or not. No, I'm not. I'm not going to watch it. No. All right. Do you have any other plan to plundering besides Fortitude season two? I will tell you. I started this new book series thanks to my brilliant wife. Oh, um, who always has a good eye for these things, and we I think we already talked about six wakes. By Murr Lafferty last time we mm-hmm. did this, um, but this is a new um, five-part book series, and I can't believe I had not heard of this because it won the Hugo Award three years in a row. Um, the Mortal Bones, Mortal no, Engines, the, Engine no, Bones, uh, Engine no. Bones. What? No, the fifth season, hmm. written by N.K. Jemison. MK like Moon Knight, uh, November Kilo, and Jameson like J. Jonah Jameson. Uh, no, uh, no, uh, J E M I S I N. J E M I S I N S I N Jameson. That's a that looks like a name that was made up. No, nope. I don't trust NK Jameson at all. I think that's okay. a pen name. But what I what I also love about it is her story because tell me she's more a, she's an african-american okay. female sci-fi writer oh that's rare and uh, yeah how many of those can you can you point to huh her not many yeah so and it is absolutely gripping it's really good is ursula Le Guin african-american or not i would have to go verify i do not know i always thought she was maybe she's not it could be. Could be misinformation. I'm, I'm deep stating us right now. <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's really good if you get a chance. No, Ursula K. Le Guin is definitely not anything other than Caucasian. That's like your opinion, man. No, so I'm, tell I'm, me, tell up. me about the fifth season. Uh, so it's a, it, it's fascinating because they have these, um, the stillness, which is the majority of people that don't have any powers. And oh, have, okay, yeah. And, and then they have this special class of people that can control seismic events. Yes, yes, yes. And they live on this huge, it's a single continent, and they call it the seasons, where every so often there's a very climactic uh, seismic event that resets all of civilization. 
And they have these dead sieves, as they call them, that have existed thousands of years before that have left behind these artifacts that nobody understands. That um, the the origins, as they call it, can can sometimes manipulate. And so you have this weird tribalism and survivalism that goes on. And so it's it's, it's just really a different approach to sci-fi slash fantasy. And the fact that now the major superpower is controlling the earth, which turns against people on the on a dime, is just really a cool approach and a cool story that um, I have not encountered before through all my reading. You know how I feel about slash fantasy. <laughs> oh, you said sci-fi slash fantasy. It's different. Sci-fi slash fantasy, yeah. But, I mean, that entire synopsis that you gave could also be slash fantasy. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. All right. So that's the fifth season by N.K. Jemison. Jemison. Yeah. All right. Okay. So for me, my plan plundering is as follows. Enter the Spider-Verse. Yes, coming out like December 12th, right? Holy shit, man. We, I mean, just not that long ago, like a couple months ago, I was poo-pooing this. Like what? I didn't get the art, and I didn't get why they were doing this film, and I didn't know what the context was. I am sold. It looks pretty cool, doesn't I it? I am super sold. And that go- and that go- and the uh, Spider Gwen especially sold me, but also their their Miles Morales looks amazing. Like everything about it sounds like it's just next level. So I'm super yeah. into it now. I turned, well, I completely turned on this project. Well, they, they blew food the fourth wall and established it. Yeah. One, right? Yeah. It's just a, really, it looks really cool. Everything goes, right? And I'm and I'm coming from the cranky older reader perspective where all of these kinds of projects in comics I don't like. Like the, there's Spider-Verse type stories in the comics. And I'm like, why does everyone have to be a spider person? And, you know, <laughs> why does everyone have to be a speedster? You know, <laughs> so I was just complaining crank cranky man i was just i was just complaining about this like 15 minutes ago and here we are but uh well it it brings up an interesting thought exercise what happens if superheroes are everywhere well sure that's exactly what it is it's like astro city or something yeah for sure so there's that also i don't know if you've heard of the show called the alienist but i put that on my planned plundering list fairly recently it's a new addition to the list i have not tell me more yes i can't uh rules on it uh so and then another one is the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which you would think, being that I'm a Coen Brothers fanatic, that I would have been the day it released that I would have watched it twice. But point of clarification, yes. Did you say the Ballad of Buster Scrotum? I did not. That is the vivid video <laughs> take on this. No, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I mean, you do know what I'm talking about. I do know what you're talking about. I'm just being facetious. You are taking the piss. Or as my father, my my dearly departed father would say, you are taking out a rash and a shit. So, uh... That sounds really awkward. Well, he was in the army. So, so the thing is... I was in the Navy. We never had that. Well, he was in the army for 52 days. I don't know what that means. So, anyway, listen... I I think we know why he got busted out. Yeah, yeah. he (laughs) he He was doing tank training at the end of the Korean War, and he was not needed. So, anyway, listen... I you would have thought you would have thought that I needed to see the ballad of Buster Scruggs the minute it came out, but I have found that there is not support in my household for this. Mm. My wife does not want to see the violence. She's I showed her the preview for it. I said, check it out. 
And he's like, doop, 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 and she's like, nope. <laughs> so I'm waiting for a window to see it, and it looks like it's I think I think if you could bait and switch and show her like the grand opening of Boz Skaggs. Yeah. And yeah. then <laughs> yeah. I you're, you're, you're. So yeah. did you see it already? No, I have not. What's your excuse? Your uh, wife loves violence. See. I was uh, in a hospital for six days. Nonsense. All right. So, okay, fine. So you need to see it, and I'm going to see it, mm-hmm. and we're going to talk about it. Perhaps we see might that goes? see it together. Yeah. So we could do it like the old days, and we just sit on the phone together. Oh, did and you see it. that? Separate I did theaters. see that. It's separate theaters. No, it's in Netflix. That's what? the whole thing. Coen Brothers signed exclusive to Netflix and did this whole anthology film just for Netflix. I It I was available two weeks ago. I completely space on that. I, yeah, I'm, I know. I'm I did, too. And then when it came out, I was astonished because I was totally, I was taken unawares. And you and I are not what you would call unawares people. Mm-hmm. Right? Unaware people. You, and, you, you, not so much as me. But yes. Yeah, I was surprised. I had lost. I had lost the thread that it was a Netflix project until it was out. So anyway, I, there it is. I, I have I have significant signal to noise issues. Like I understand. Yeah. So what I, you are not seven by seven. So um, and you're not five by five. So here's the thing. What I understand about it is that it is uh, weird. It's like surreal, cynical, and violent, and it sounds great. And at the same time, it's old timey. And and wild west. So sounds, sounds like old brother we're out the redux. Yes, yes, but but uh, but ultra violent. That's okay. Yes, and not just on uh, Klansmen and stuff. All right. So and then also, here's the thing. I told you that I would take you up on your insistence that I see the light, and I did, and I finally got into Audible and I mm-hmm. downloaded two books, mm-hmm. Reemdy and Snow Crash. Mm-hmm. And I started Reemdy. I stopped Seven Evans as Seven Evan Evan Evans as you seven told eves. me to do. Seven Eves. Seven Eves. And I started Reemdy. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where I'm at. I am in it because of the nature of audiobooks. Mm-hmm. Let me just say this: as someone who was a, um, I mean, almost a hater of audiobooks before I gave up and tried, I had heard something ten years ago, <laughs> you know, whatever. Where it was just a generic audiobook, and I thought this is horrible. This is brutal to listen to someone just monotone to read this out. But, Holy wait, shit! Wait, it's wait, a but, totally but, different world now. But wait, but wait, we talked about it. It was Julia Childs doing Hunter S. Thompson. It didn't work. You picked the wrong thing. That was <laughs> ten years ago. I know, I know. What was I thinking? Yeah, Julia Childs talking about dropping acid just doesn't work for me either. It's kind of good, <laughs> right? And then, <laughs> right. And then my eyeball became transparent, and I flew through the ether, <laughs> looking, looking for my oven mitt. This doesn't work. Yeah, it it, it does not work. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it kind of would work. As I was saying it, I was kind of thinking, gosh, I would actually listen to that. But um, anyway, what are you listening to and who's narrating it? So let's see. I'm going to see if it's universal because I know. Because if it's Jack Palance narrating, reading it, that would be great. Well, all right. So let's I mean, see. He's dead and everything. I, uh, uh, assuming that it's because I have to let me go to Audible's own website just to verify this. Um I'll tell you who it is. Oh, okay, so I'm. Let me tell you what. This has changed my life. Yeah, it's Malcolm Hillgartner, is the narrator, and I need to know who Malcolm. So this guy 
So, so wait, you you read ReMD as an audiobook, right? Are you listening to no, it? No, no, no. I read it as a, just a okay. So I have not one but two version. I have not one but two copies of this heavy ass book. And I'm pretty sure we bought both of them for you. Yeah, I think you did. So, mm-hmm. um, right. oh no, this guy is a really famous auto audiobook guy. Yeah. So okay. So here's the thing. Let me just. All right. Here's Baby's Primer on on. Uh, Audiobooks. Okay, so I, th- my memory from ten years ago was audiobooks were really boring. They just read it, and it's like listening to someone read anything economics textbook. It's just terrible. So I took your advice because you told me that it was dumb that I was not using audiobooks when I have stated multiple times that I have no time to read the book, but I really want to read the book, but I have a lot of travel time. Why am I not listening to the audiobook? So I well, and, broke and down. bicycling and bicycling and bicycling, and so over the last year. The majority of my driving and cycling time has been podcast mm-hmm. listening, which is great. But I finally took your advice, signed up for Audible, not a sponsorship for this podcast. Mm-hmm. And I picked two books that I have been like the hottest books for you and me to talk about other than Annihilation and some other stuff, which was get on this Reamy because you told me this was I need to oh, jump no, I, ahead to this I, I wanted you to read it so much I bought you the book twice twice <laughs> and then also you and I have always you know sort of infamously been of, of a, have a, a difference of opinion about Snow Crash mm-hmm. me saying it never resonated with me you saying I'm fucking insane and so therefore I also got Snow Crash so I haven't mm-hmm. started that but anyway so with Reamy I started this audiobook and I was absolutely astonished because this guy Malcolm Hillgartner his his vocal style he sounds like he's one of the trailer guys right in a world you know he has that deeper timber to his voice <laughs> now that's it he does not sound like Brie Larson let's put it that way yeah you um, can, your ticket gets the whole seat but you only need the edge <laughs> but the what astonished me was well so anyway I was interested in both the, the what was successful and unsuccessful about an audiobook experience especially when you're dealing with a less conventional writer like Neil Stevenson. Granted, I am really fascinated as to what the audiobook for Cryptonomicon must be, since that book, as well as the whole Quicksilver trilogy, has a lot of pictograms in it. I don't know what that must be like. But in this case, his style of writing is a little bit disjointed, and it's really interesting to listen to it narrated, because it took me a long time to be able to go with the flow when it was shifting gears and there was no obvious like chapter two, like he would just, he's talking about something and all of a sudden it's something else. And you're like, what the fuck's happening? And that's character change and time change. Right. But have you listened to all of it? Mm, No, hold on. So what I found successful was a, that I'm obsessed enough with the fact that it's working, that I look forward to getting in my truck or, or getting on the bike. So I'm, really enjoying it right that's that's that is in and of itself the marketing for audible right that i cannot wait to listen to it so that's great now i'm very happy for you that's great that said i am astonished at the subtlety by which this works okay so this guy is narrating the dialogue of different characters including women including Mm -hmm. different ethnicities and so i was like what's he get as it started because like many of neil stevenson's works it's pages and pages of of thought exposition before anyone speaks dialogue right so it worked for that establishing the whole you know the fourth rights that they're not the fourth rights what are they called the four uh four uh 
fourth fourth rests at their mm-hmm. reunion, the shooting reunion. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, pages and pages of exposition, and it's working. But I was thinking, when it gets to dialogue, what are they going to do? And it's not like he's like a, a cartoon where he's like, and then you said, and then, nah, nah, nah. you know, he's very subtle. <laughs> that would also be good. <laughs> it would be pretty good. Anyway. It's not like, it's not like 1930s Orson Welles. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. All I had as a frame of reference was like, like radio plays and stuff, right? Yeah. Which is you're, really you're broad. Right, people that wave the aluminum yeah. sheet for thunder and everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what I was amazed by was that he, he's affecting different characters voices and i'm not talking even the ethnicities but the different characters speaking all he does is adjust his timber just a little bit or he mm-hmm. changes his inflection just a hair and, and sometimes just the delivery, stunned right? by, huh? sometimes they, they staggered the delivery the, yeah the, the pace right yeah so i was just astonished at the amount of work that when i was just imagining that it must be like and maybe not but i imagined it as weeks of prep mm-hmm reading through it weeks of prep to come to the conclusions of what, you know, how he was going to do it and how he was going to frame these, these, these voices. But I was just astonished. I loved it. So I'm in, I don't know. I think I'm in the last act of the book, but I don't know for sure. Um, Because Brendy, the way that, I mean, it's classic Stevenson, how he has all these disjointed things. You don't understand how they fit together. and You don't know why you're reading what you're reading. Like, I don't understand how supermarket weep leads to, you know, an atomic bomb. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like I, so I feel like we can, we can talk a little bit about the, the, the parts of it that I have read and then we can kind of follow up on it later, but it's been a really interesting experience. So first of all, I find it really fascinating that he's able to affect female voices by just a slight adjustment, not only of his timber, but also the way he, his inflections and the way he approaches certain, certain words Mm -hmm. and things. But also, there are certain idiosyncrasies to an audio recording of text that is just fascinating to listen to, or at least his his way of resolving them. For example, he had a statement, I wrote this down to say to you, he described the rush and confusion in the street when the building's collapsing. Mm-hmm. But that sounded like Russian confusion, which also was appropriate, <laughs> right? <laughs> also, uh, yes. so that, that was one thing. Um, another one was the pronunciation of a word that I've only read but never heard, which I've had happen to me multiple times in my life because up until the recent era where I don't read because I don't have time, I was a voracious reader and I got a lot of vocabulary from my reading. Mm-hmm. The word is... Well, I would have pronounced it in- interlocutor. Interlocutor. Yeah. yeah. But the way he pronounces it, I couldn't even like, I was like, wait, what? And I knew the word he was saying because it's so specific, but it was so jarring that I had to stop the recording for a minute and like kind of process it and get, keep going. Because it's interlocutor. Like, I don't know. I think he says it like interlocutor or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was weird. He's taking, he's taking some liberty with the pronunciation yeah. to make it a yeah. point. It's the same thing with... Uh, uh, Patrick Stewart and Picard when he becomes a Borg. Uh-huh. Look, that's what it made me think of. Of course yeah. it does. Yeah. Um, you know, Chaka when the walls fell. So the other thing is... <laughs> Put down the bones! As this story was progressing, as soon as we hit Abdullah Jones, I had this... I mean, the, the whole Zula storyline, I was starting to dread it. And then once we got to Abdullah Jones, I was like, oh my God, no, no, we're not going to get to the N-word, are we? 
they did. So that yeah, was they, just they did. They did, but did did they use that in the? So they said that in the audiobook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? So, but I mean, but then again, it was completely appropriate how it was used and why it was used, and it was contextual, but it was still. I no saw matter what, issue, we're in the I... world. We're in the contemporary era. We're in a very specific time in culture, where this white guy doing an audiobook has to say the word, and it fucking hurts anyway. Yeah. So no, it's, it's the same reaction I had to Leo DiCaprio doing it in the uh, Django Unchained. Yep. Right? Yeah. Well, I I, I haven't they seen should, it, but they, I've heard references to it. They yet. should have cut that out. Um, so, but I just love so Remy. I just if I may, I just love how he ties together like the Russian mob, the computer geeks, the Islamic terrorists, and all these different settings. It's just I'm loving the book. Masterful it, it is one of my favorites. It, it yeah. is one of my favorites. But I will say, um, so the other thing is, I was going to say that. Um, Speaking to the subject of the voice actor and having to hit different things to imply different characters, what a field day he had with Abdullah Jones because mm-hmm. he he slips between accents because he's a chameleon, so he's saying things in his <clears throat> his learned African British, and then he mm-hmm. shifts to what Stevenson called abonics, which is sort of a dated term. And then, and then he s- slips to a sort of a fake American accent and then he's back to his British accent. And Zula doesn't quite process what he's, you know, why he is doing that. But listening to the, listening to this guy read this was just amazing. And then also, you know, I love, I love the, I love the Russians, you know, I love this, this as a, as a character trope, but mm-hmm. he's had like three different Russian, ac- well, he's had three Russian accents and one, um, Hungarian accent, and it's just a delight. He's just working it so well. His his even off was just amazing. You, <laughs> I'm gonna have to check it out because I, I did not read the auto. I did not listen to the audiobook, so I got it's actually really really good. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I I want to like, I really want to save it and like actually just do a post mortem and we talk about this book in more detail because there's a mm-hmm. lot to unpack. But That's I will say book. that the single thing that is the most jarring to me is how anachronistic this is. Mm-hmm. This is set in time. This is set in the past, effectively. But it has elements of it that are so beyond the scale of what's contemporary with mm-hmm. the level of immersion with with uh, T-Rain. At the same time, it's set at a point in time where characters are carrying PDAs. So that's really frustrating me. Every time <laughs> someone picks up a PDA, I'm like, what the fuck's a PDA? We haven't had an IPAX since, like... <laughs> 2005 right like it's just it's like the 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 way culture has accelerated technological culture has accelerated that's ancient history right like it's really really jarring and i know he's doing it deliberately and it's really confusing but and uh, and also it's a great foil right it's a great way to jar the timeline and 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 jar the reader into a different perspective it totally is it totally is because it's very deliberate he's Mm -hmm. creating an alternate it's an alternate reality where this stuff is is expanding and contracting at a different rate than we see it, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing was, um, I think that reading this, granted that the majority of, I think the majority of readers of Neil Stevenson are nerds, but it is really strange to read a it's book. aren't politicians. Well, it's interesting to read a book where he's doing the same thing he's done in his other books where he takes a thing. It could be mining or it could be, you know whatever alchemy um, or cryptography or yeah. any alchemy or anything else 
and he goes, he deep dives, and then he does this really detailed descriptive process by which he illustrates it for you until you feel like you know it really well. It's really strange to read him do that with uh, video game, like massive multiplayer role-playing games and basic IT tech, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not an IT guy, and I never played a massively multiplayer multiplayer role-playing game, but I know these worlds very well, and it's really strange to read the, the step-by-step. He, he, he pushed the on switch on the router. It went through a series of beeps and tones, and you're like, what the fuck? Of course I know what a router sounds like. But you know what I mean? Like, it's interesting to me that he would go through the work of he's it's like an affectation. He's taken the approach that this is an alien world and he's going to describe it in detail, even though he knows that the vast majority of the readership is well-versed in this stuff. Mm-hmm. So he's like Absolutely. making it alien. He's making it alien by the, by virtue of the fact that he's forcing it upon you that way. Right? Like right. No, no one reading this book doesn't understand the nuance of world of Warcraft. Mm-hmm. Even people like you and me who didn't play world of Warcraft, we, we get it, but he, he establishes it in such detail in order to then explain why T-Rain was such an innovation that it would be an inversion of everything that World of Warcraft was trying to avoid. Right. So monetizing. Right. And to me, it's the same thing with Snow Crash and, sure. and all these others that he takes the projected normal or the actual normal or the historical normal. And he goes into such detail that it, it creates this level of comfort with it. It's like yeah. a drink that you know very well. Yeah. Right, and, and it's sort of like um, the soup Nazi episode with Seinfeld. He's describing that very well. Yes. And then suddenly, you know, orcs appear. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. Right. It's, and it's just the yeah. same kind of thing. He he re, he develops this context that we're all familiar with, or presuppose that we're familiar with, and then takes it in a completely different direction. He, it's it's extremely masturbatory. Yeah. But you either with him or against him, right? And I'm definitely with it. <laughs> like, I'm really, really, really enjoying this story. So, yeah, when it's done, we'll have to, to talk to talk about it in more detail. But, I mean, I, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm loving the process. I'm loving where it's going um, so far. Well, and well, uh, the, the, this one, this one in particular. Yeah. Given that it's not a series or, you know, the. Yet. The Quicksilver, you know. Yeah. There's no waterhouses yet at all in right, the story. Right, right. But, but it's a self-contained thing. It, it's a read it so far. So, so far. No, it, it is. It is. It's, it, it's not even, you know, Gibson esque where he kind of leaves it open ended. And in, in future books, he kind of pulls out characters in weird ways to connect yeah. the, the right. continuum. But this one, it, to me, it's the best example of his ability to go to these seemingly disparate realms of his reality. And it brings them together. And the last 75 pages of it is just on. Well, and you know me that I love an interconnecting story. Yeah. So it's been, I don't know, for the last, I don't know how many pages, because I've really lost my perspective on that mm-hmm. as I listen to it. But in it's terms the of the way time contracts and expands in the story, yeah, I'm in a section where it's been, I'm, I'm, I'm taxis onto the boat. Right. That's oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. So I've, I've gone through another, I mean, I've gone through a really long period of time that is describing in detail things that are happening minute by minute, right? Like it's been gone, it's gone from ancient history to like this is all happening right now. So it feels very urgent. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm enjoying it more than I've enjoyed reading or not reading, listening to something for a long time. 
certainly a hell of a lot better than NFM. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, but it, it just creates a different experience, right? Yeah. To, to get those stories told in the spoken word is a different experience. There's a it certain... Is. It, it is. It is. It's yeah. like sitting around a campfire and listening to a story as opposed to reading it in the library. I'm just really enjoying it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially given the fact that I'm a parent of, of, of small children as you and as you are. And, you know, I'm often being forced daily to read a Mm -hmm. thing at a point where I'm tired and I really want them to go the fuck to sleep. And so I find myself going through, you know, like I'm just trying to get through the pages. It's like, I'm trying to meet my contractual obligation. (laughs) No, go to sleep. You know, okay, we're done. The, the, the pacing of this narrator is very, Mm-hmm. measured and I really enjoy it um, also uh, <clears throat> there was one other thing I was going to say about it um, I guess can, can, I, can I give you one hokey story real quick yeah yeah there? sure so my, the, the most vivid experience I've always had and it stuck with me forever is that my my dad read me The Hobbit when I was like 8 years old oh yes right and so and you know every every night it would be like Ten pages of the Hobbit. And we we did that would that would be it, and then I remember reading it for an English lit class when I was thirteen, and being so disappointed. Oh, really? Because the experience of having it spoken to me and then imagining along with it, as opposed to reading it directly and and uh, that was it. Oh, it wasn't about the content. Yeah. It wasn't about the content. It wasn't about anything else. It was about the experience it was process, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. It was about the and it was a. a, a to go a little poignant here, it was like one of my most vivid childhood memories that, and I, I still remember this day, the disappointment when I finished The Hobbit, I'm like, yeah. 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 Different thing. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, do you have, I mean, I do want to follow up. We will circle back on this book when I'm done. It's probably mm-hmm. pretty close, but listen, do you have any rum fueled recommendations for us today? It's our next segment. Mm-hmm. Things you've seen or read or, or done, and then you want to tell us to do the same. Uh, let's see. My life has been somewhat mitigated um, lately, but I will say I, I actually have a, a couple of guilty um, told recommendations. Oh, yes? Ugly Betty? Yeah. No, yeah, well, maybe. Um, this season of Below Deck is unbelievable. What's this? It's a show about this the, the yacht for hire out in the Caribbean <laughs> and, the, and the deck crew of it, the whole crew side of it. And it is it is absolutely fascinating. What where what who's so where and why and who? Uh, I have a I have a person in my life that lives in the same house with me that loves that show. No, but what no, but where did where who 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 broadcast this or what? I mean I've never heard of Below Deck. Um hold on. I wanna say AMC. HGTV. American Fusion. Bravo. It's Bravo. Bravo. And yeah. and it's fictional. No, it's actual. Oh, okay. So it's documentary or uh, it's reality. Yeah, it's a reality TV show. This is fascinating. It's a reality TV. Okay. It, it's, a guilty, it's a guilty pleasure. Okay. Um, that, what else? And, and that's about it. Okay. So for oh, me. And, and hmm? actually, sorry, there's one other thing. Okay. You know Animal Kingdom? Animal Kingdom, yes. The show on TNT? Sure. No. Since the seventies? No. No. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Watch the mountain lion stalk its prey. Yeah. Anyway, it's it's one of those other uh shows that's guilty. It's on TNT. 
Um, it's in its like fourth season now, and it's uh, all about these folks in South Cal- California. It's kind of like um, Sons of Anarchy, mm-hmm. but, but suburbia version. Yeah, and, interesting. And it's even more twisted in Ellen Barkin. So it's I, not what I thought it was. No, no, it's, it's not Marlon Perkins, you know, Mutual of Omaha by any stretch. Um, but Ellen Barkin huh. in this show, I don't know if you're familiar with her at all. Well, but, I'm familiar with her as the divorcee of Gabriel Byrne. There you go. Trying to imagine so, that marriage. Yes. Well, yeah. It's like both Lundgren and Brigitte Nielsen. Yes. It's, um, so it's based on an Australian show, Animal Kingdom. Yes. And uh, this is the, TV, the American interpretation of it in a TV show. And it is just stunning. And Ellen Barkin is amazing. So there you go. Another, how, high, uh, how high are her heels in this show? She's basically like a blonde version of Peg Bundy with a fat attitude. Oh, and really? A and a semi-automatic gun. All right. I'm sold. Yeah, because it's it, the story is basically her and her adopted and actual son of five and they basically run their own drug and robbery ring and how she's just so twisted and so effed up. Oh, man. And manipulating I'm into it. All, yeah. all of her uh, sons. Yeah, there huh. you go. Okay. So for me, uh, well, so my planned, so my Rumfield recommendation, of course, is Reem D. <laughs> we were just talking about that. And the use of Audible as a, as a thing. Um, also, I saw two, well, I saw a couple of movies in the last week. We've been trying to push as many of these sort of family holiday uh, releases forward as we can since my wife's uh, schedule is going to change. But um, first, we in Thanksgiving weekend we started with Wreck It Ralph two. Ralph breaks the internet. I loved it. Um, different than Wreck It Ralph, but I really, 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 really love Wreck It Ralph. Like I've watched well, it many times. So, what was it about you that was so compelling? Did you see Wreck It Ralph? Oh yeah. Do you, do you like Wreck-It Ralph? Okay. Yes, I do. So uh, it plays on a lot of the themes that were powerful in Wreck-It Ralph, but expands upon them in a way that doesn't feel extrane- extraneous. It's very um, organic how it spreads. And uh, it, it's another one of these films where it's saying so much about just people and how they interact with each other and how people grow and change and how friendships change. Uh well, at the same time being exactly what it is. I will say one of the things that's frustrating is that it's just unfortunate that that shitty Emoji Movie came out before this. Because the Emoji Movie just relentlessly just went for everything literal. You saw it, right? Uh, I saw half of it. Okay, so, you know, every, it's all the apps are the, same, are the real companies. It's all marketing. It's just shitty. And grandstanding for preteens and teens to be all like, you know, I like I like those apps and that's hilarious. Candy Crush. Right. I mean, mean, that said, it is still better than Twilight. Sure. Go ahead. Now, that said, um, in Ralph Breaks the Internet, a lot of the like the majority of the things they see on the Internet are real sites. And I felt like in the wake of Emoji Movie and with the pedigree that Disney has that they should have made all of those sites parody sites. Like, I think it would have been more powerful if instead of Twitter, it was like cl- TMZ you know, clocker or something. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Like they should have made, given them other names and they make them ciphers of what they really are. Let mm-hmm. them be very obviously what they are. But by making real Twitter and real Google and real, you know, all these 
items blended in with all the stuff that they invented. Because Emoji did it first, it just felt more um, pandering than it really was. Because it's not pandering, but it, it's a disappointment that they they didn't go just full tilt on it. Because, as usual, just like with the first one, they create games or environments in this that are so re- so good that they could just be mar- they just could be released as a product because and they would be great. Like Sugar Rush should be a thing, right? And by the same token, in this case, there's something called uh, uh, slaughter slaughter race. Okay, That's so race well, what it is is it's um, you know so Vanellope discovers slaughter race, and it's basically like uh, Twisted Metal. Do you remember Twisted Metal? Mm-hmm. The clown and all that—it's that. It's the post-apocalyptic racing slash demolition game, and they do it with such incredible, like incredible graphics. It's so visceral. It's amazing. And then Gal Gadot is in it, playing a character who's very, very much based on her Fast and Furious character. And it's just like it's so good. You just want to spend some time playing Slaughter Race, right? While in the middle of the movie. So anyway, Wreck-It Ralph. It was very good. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Um, I still think the first one was better because it's fundamentally better because it created this entire construct on its own. You're never going to beat that. It's like Iron Man 1, right? Mm-hmm. It's its own thing. Um, the other one I saw, which I thought was going to be terrible, I thought this movie was the answer to the unasked question. And it went just because, you know, kids. It's The Grinch. Okay? Oh, no. So, you know, The Grinch cartoon was fine. It's good. It's It's, it's a legend. The Ron Howard Grinch was really uncomfortable with, uh, with uh, what's his name, Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. And so when they do an animated Grinch, and I'm like, okay. And then it's Benedict, Benedict you know, Frumius, Ban- Frumius Bandersnatch is doing the voice. I'm like, why are we doing this? Why is Smog the Grinch? Yes. Well, guess what? It's actually really good. Really? It is the best uh, CGI, you know, animated interpretation of Dr. Seuss's design style. It's incredibly well realized, much better than the the Lorax, which I call the Thorax just to piss off my kids, but it's much better than the Lorax. It's better than the Who. It's just uh, it's so well done. And I still think it would have been better if it was an unknown voice. They didn't, you know, they just put these people in so they can bring the the, the mainstream audience in who like those actors, but it, well, no, so it, getting, on the press tour, you're getting the face recognition and all that. Sure, That's sure. But I will say that more than just like, as he's done on other movies, more than virtually anybody else, he's so lost in the character that you barely notice that it's him. You do know it's him, but you barely notice it. And that's impressive because we're not talking about a voice actor or a character actor. We're talking about a mainstream actor. He's a, he does a really good job of getting himself immersed. Um, I really enjoy there's a lot of the artificial physics I really enjoy wrong physics when it's done internally consistent and it's and it's and it feels right. So, for example, mm-hmm. you know, you have the the sleigh with the infinitely large bag of presents. That's all the shit he's stolen from the entire town, right? So it's inf- yep. infinitely large, and it's all this teeny little sleigh, and then it has physics, right? It's somehow it's pushing the sleigh around and it's sliding around and it's gonna it's constantly just right on the edge of of teetering over and exploding and it doesn't and that it's that it, it, there's tension in the false physics of it right it's like the impossibly tall stack of teacups or in in the case of the who or the the dr seuss design uh 
style. It's the infinitely long, multi-segmented Rube Goldberg hands, right? The arm mm-hmm. that is a, a million a million joints worth, and then it somehow is pouring tea, you know? Like, the the designer in me just goes like, fuck, I can't handle it. Well, they do a really good job of rationalizing it in this movie. It looks really good. So, anyway, mm-hmm. I, and then the story is so much more... Um, they tweaked it. It's much more sympathetic. His his relationship to the who's or whatever they are, the people and why he hates Christmas so much becomes much more um, sympathetic without being a cartoon. And then also what I really appreciated as an animal lover is that his relationship with his dog is different. So in the original one, the dog is like this simpering sort of abused, you know, Stockholm syndrome dog, right? Just beat the shit out of that dog. And in this one, it's just a dog with a, a, a dog that's dedicated to its owner. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he's br- gruff with it, and then sometimes he's very kind with it. Like this very casual, there's a lot of that. It's the stuff that makes things like Wreck-It Ralph really successful and other Disney products where there's subtlety and motion or mannerism that is so real, it's so real that you're immediately there, right? So mm-hmm. in the middle of, he's ranting about some bullshit and, bah, you know, whatever, Christmas sucks and this and this, and then he's, and he hates everything, and then the dog kind of inches closer and closer to him, and then while he's, while he's pontificating about how much he hates everything, his hand sort of absentmindedly reaches over and sort of pets and itches the dog, right? At the yes. same time, he's raging about everything, and he's such a, you know, whatever, this, this, this antagonist. He still has that relationship that feels so real, and I was really, really impressed with it. So there you hmm. go. So, you know, when you're, when you're forced to watch this as a holiday movie at some point, you'll find that it is not the, the burden that you think it would be which leads me to my final uh, thing, which is the Christmas Chronicles with Kurt Russell, which is on Netflix right now. This was Dude. a f- foregone conclusion. I was going to have to watch this because my family was interested in everything. And uh, on the upside, I will say that Kurt Russell remains the um, best specimen for older man, as far as I'm concerned. Like, he's just one big sizzle chest. On the <laughs> other hand, he does a lot to try to undermine that in this movie with a really extended uh, Elvis Presley type sequence that is terrible but it does go a long long way like if I have to watch I have to say me and all the housewives out there if I have to watch well and house people I guess if I have to watch a Santa movie it doesn't hurt when it's a sizzle chesty Kurt Russell Santa dead silence you don't agree with me I know I got absolutely nothing to add to that you don't know what I mean he is he's a hunk of hunk of Yes. It helps. It's yeah. like if they put Brad Pitt in the Santa costume and then very deadpanned made him Santa Claus. But they younger. But they younger. Did. No, they did that. It's called Meet Joe Black. <laughs> You're actually right. Oh, that horrible <laughs> bus scene. That haunted me, man. No, that's uh, that's fascinating. All right. Well, anyway, uh, Christmas Chronicles is in no way is a good movie. It's terrible. Okay. But Kurt Russell, all I'm saying is... It's like the Jeff Goldblum effect in a way. Yeah, yeah, no. Like I mean, if they could make a movie about a, a a rascal, a rascal of a plumber that all the women in the building love, and if it's Kurt Russell, I'm going to be like, well, that's at least it's Kurt Russell doing it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's it's Kurt Russell, the Legend of Zelda. You know, you just got to watch it. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, that's what I'm saying. That's no, I, what I, made I, it bearable I, for me. I'm I'm a big Kurt Russell fan. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's that same it's that same charisma that allowed him to burn a hole through Guardians of the Galaxy two. 
all the way up to the point where he's a dick. And you're like, eh, it's all right. <laughs> it was Kurt Russell, you know. No, it is Kurt Russell. I mean, it's, yeah. it's basically him from uh, Big Trouble in Little China that got, yeah. like, powers yeah. um, playing, you know, uh, lightning ball with his son. Yeah. That's cool. And I said in the first three minutes of this thing, I said, if they don't do an 11th hour reveal that Ms. Claus is Goldie Hawn, I'm just going to eat my shorts. And sure enough, and? Goldie Hawn was Ms. Claus at the very end. What they didn't tell me leading into this and was quite a shock was that Santa brought her a lot of really bad plastic surgery because I mm-hmm. was not up to date on Goldie Hawn. Mm-hmm. Holy fuck. Mm-hmm. Not good. Yeah. So yeah. There's, that's a thing. Anyway, so not a bad session for some news and some recommendations, I think, all things considered. No, on a, on a, on a carb-only diet, it was a really good show. Yeah. So when, when next we talk... You will be not on the precipice of death again, and we will be discussing other things, including projects we have watched and enjoyed together, as well as the fallout from our expectations and our hopes and our dreams and how Avengers 4 trailer crushes them. I'm really, I, I just kind of... I, I don't want to see it. I want it I to just wanna, be like, just come it. out. I yeah, I just, there was a great piece, um, I think it was in BBC, where they were just begging for all these big movies with the anticipation level so high, right? To just yeah. not even spend the money on a trailer. Just Well, no. we talked about this before. What if we had seen Infinity War without a trailer? Even better. We would have blown... We Our asses would have just been gone. Yeah. Right? Yes, absolutely. My ass would have been gone. No, because it... Right? I actually, Imagine seeing that cold. So... Could we could we make an agreement? Could we do it that we just agree not to see it? No, we could try, but it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know, it's not going to happen. I tried that before. I hold out for like four hours, but the problem is the entire internet's talking about it. So then you lose your resolve because you can't you can't go on full. I mean, it's one thing if it's a month before, right? Mm-hmm. But you have to go total media blackout. Yeah, right. I'm not going to go a year without reading the web just because of Avengers Four, you know, fanaticism. But I don't know. But I will say this. Um, I will attempt to do like I did with Infinity War. I'll watch the first trailer, and then I'll try not to watch anything else after that. Mm-hmm. We'll see how that works. Yeah. Well, if it's Jeff Goldblum just making, showing us how to do homemade uh, lasagna. Oh, fuck. Can you imagine if that was the secret to the way this all ends is the Grandmaster? So you don't, uh, you don't really... Uh, yeah. Uh, you don't want to. You don't want to. Want to. You don't want to do with the with the with the with the stones. You don't want to <laughs> the, the thing with the stones. You don't want to do that. You know, it'd be really great is if he went back to Asgard and <laughs> Asgard, 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 God of Lightning. No, when, when you do the sparkle fingers, that's yeah. really cool. Now I want to go back and see that. I was thinking, it's like that movie comes back to me in these weird moments. Uh, these disparate moments and I can't get it over I was in a meeting last week I remember this I was in a meeting and for some reason I was instantly imagining how the meeting of the Grandmaster was dovetailed with him punishing his cousin or whatever yes. and now <laughs> and like that whole oh, sequence oh, was that, just no, so what is that it smells like burnt toast <laughs> <laughs> And his whole interactions with the with the uh, with the Maori woman that is just so amazing. We don't. I don't like the word slaves. We don't use that word. <laughs> oh man. Oh, Jeff what, what, what's your name? What's your name? Uh, lying bitch. No, that's not it. 
Um, we need a new segment, and that is, or a new way we judge our reviews. What would be better if Jeff Goldblum was in it? So, like, in everything that we review or talk about, what character or what role could have been better if it was him? Because any of them will do. And that would be the challenge is to figure out which one would be the best one. We should just call it, what would Jeff do? What would Jeff do? I'm going to write this down so we don't forget it, because this is, this is, this is gold right now. What would now. Jeff do? You know, except for, like, Natalie Portman in Annihilation, I think Jeff Goldblum would just be a disaster. But, I think uh, that might be actually really interesting. The, he's not. He's not by. I don't know the guy. Uh, I think in the final scene, you're all uh, silvery and uh, you're dancing yeah. around and uh, you know. Oh man, that's really heavy. I don't know if I can. Uh, it's really uh, you know heavy. <laughs> yes, your uh, your reticu- your recursive anus has a certain uh, certain <laughs> jazzy little uh, you know. In general, I agree with your aesthetic, but your execution can really use a lot of work. <laughs> Man, I'm so into this now. Oh my god, I love it. You know what would be really oh good in god, the corner? Right, in the that body, right next to that charred body, it'd be a nice base of flowers, maybe some greenery. Be really good. <laughs> oh man, put Jeff in it. That's a what new segment. What would Jeff do? Oh my god. Or or we could, we could steal Portlandia and say put a Jeff on it. Put a Jeff. Put a Jeff on it. I will modify it. I'll I'll put modify this right now. And and uh, honestly, I think we just found our title for the episode. Put. Put a Jeff on it. Um, so, that said, if you were to consider Reemdy, mm-hmm. which would, which character would be Jeff Goldblum? Uh, to be honest with you, I think it would have to be the guy who was uh, his co-founder, competitor, the really fat dude that uh, I think got skinny. Don Donald? Him. No, yeah. this is uh, not Don Donald. This is... Uh, this is um, um, fuck. Not Ethan. Um... Yeah, right. I know Devin. Devin. Devin, the, the guy who Skeletor. Right. Skeletor. That's yeah. our, that's good. Um, I was going to say um, Li Jean, the the one driving the van oh, around, the, the blue blue boots, blue boots, Bigfoot. Yeah, that's pretty good. Too. As Jeff Goldblum, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, oh, this is a, this is a gift that's going to give give and give and give for a long time, my friend. It, I. It's brilliant. It's a stroke of fucking genius. All right. So, listen. It was real. I had a great time. And when next we discuss, we'll have more things to discuss. We will. I mean, it's amazing that we talk for, what, two and a half hours. We hit 50 minutes on Captain Marvel, so. Yeah. (laughs) On a trailer. (laughs) I know. It's pretty good. (laughs) All right. Peace and bye, Grease. Uh, Yeah, uh, uh, indeed. A friend of mine started listening to the podcast. He's like, dude, I can't. I can't imagine you guys sitting there talking for five hours. I'm like, yeah, it's like no a, it's a, a backhanded compliment, to say the least. It is. It is. Like we we're so self entertained that we the, don't. Even yeah, this, this they just don't understand. They don't. Prior to us podcasting, we did this anyway. Yes, and our wives are very happy now that we're doing it as a podcast. No, no, it's directly related to the fact that our wives fall asleep within the first twenty minutes of whatever. So, did carry and pass out watching the third. Time of the same episode on the show within the first five minutes. Yeah, that's another thing we need to do is do another viewing because you and I are, you know, along with Blade Runner and a few others, our most infamous viewing experience, like, like seismically powerful viewing experience, was uh, Pain and Gain. Mm-hmm. This is the one that you you suffered more. 
than, than I did, given the rate of rye consumption. But but that was one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. I know. <laughs> Contextually, it was so amazing. It's like when I when I tried and at some point I tried to get really stoned and watch the Muppet movie. I may have told you this, and it was the Muppet Pirate movie, and I got really stoned and I thought this is going to blow my mind, and all I did was sit there and stare mm-hmm. at the fatalist reality that humans had their hands up the asses of puppets pretending to be humans acting alongside humans. And then a bunch of humans are watching this and being entertained. And we should, we, we should be burned to dust by whatever future civilization comes. And you know, they they will remember us from this footage. It was a horrible experience. I was so I was so out of the, I was so out of the, like the verisimilitude, right? Oh my God, it was terrible. So, so, on, so, so that, that response that you have right there, that right there, you Iron know, Fist, that, the Iron that, Fist response. That's how I feel every time I see Iron Fist. Yes. So, so, so the inverse of that is our whiskey fueled viewing of Pain and Gain, which gave it much more power than it deserves. But we had a hell of a good time watching that I'm movie. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> that's our Paris Cafe with Jean Luc as the waiter. That oh my it. God. You're right. <laughs> No, it's 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 the look back and seeing Selena and uh, seeing Michael Caine, right? <laughs> it all worked out. <laughs> is, is the top gonna fall? All the red carpet in the world. All, all right, so with that, I leave you. All the gin joints in the universe. You had to walk into this one. With that, I leave you. Just remember, just remember that in the end, it all boiled down to one square foot of blood-soaked carpet cut out. That was mm-hmm. the point in that movie where you and I both looked to each other and just said, that's it. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> Tonight. And with that, I am just-